Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome to Ellen Sarah's podcast. Okay, I'm so excited about this episode. You always say that. I know, and and just I, saying, be and I mean authentic. it every time. Be authentic. I mean it every time. We are very thoughtful with the guests that we bring on. I've been wanting to talk about crypto for a very long time. It's, yeah, you're, and you're, I never imagined that the first time we would be talking about crypto on the podcast would be with arguably the most powerful woman in crypto. I will Today, say, I have some friends, mm-hmm. uh, not to brag, but I have some friends, some guys who are in finance who make a lot of money. Okay. And when I when they saw that we were having Katie Hahn on, all of a sudden they're blowing up my DMs. How mm-hmm. did you get her? How do you know her? Please don't intro You're her so to any pretty, Erin. You. I've you've always been my favorite sister. I wish I could date you. Why did you get married? You're the love of my life. Things like that. Okay. And how cool. So Katie, Katie Hahn is. is a general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, a Silicon Valley. It's like one of the biggest tech venture capital firms. She co-chairs its crypto fund and. I'm shocked Wait, that we got her. How did, did we say, get her? Did you say she's the most powerful woman in crypto? I did say that. Yeah. Also, to be aware, there is going to be a fourth voice in the room that yes, comes there out is. of nowhere. She was joined by her colleague, by the way, Rachel Horwitz, who, if it wasn't for her, I don't. None of this would have even happened. She runs comms there, communications. Yeah, you could just say communications. Sorry, you have to communications. say comms, like some. Um, and you're going to hear her way in on a lot as well. These she kind of was. She was sort of chiming in from the side, and then we were like, "Let's get this girl a microphone." I think we could do a whole episode with her. I yeah. mean, these women were mind blowing. I so, we should have talked less. Truly. It is important to know if you are coming to listen to this podcast for financial advice, which we understand. Uh, because of Katie's role at her job, she's not allowed to give financial advice or like which cryptos to buy. But she, we, uh, we kept winking at her and she really, she gave us nothing. She can't so, say like, oh, I think Bitcoin's going to go here or definitely put your money into Solana. She can't, you know, she can't do but that. But she makes it very clear, like anybody would, that if you are not embracing crypto, you will be left behind. You will be left behind. So uh, that in 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 itself is sort of, you know, a nod to financial advice that like, don't miss out. Uh, but at some point, we are going to do another conversation around those things where we do talk about what we think people should be buying uh, based on what we see because no one gives a shit what advice we give. Um, she also has a lot I'm of really good... I'm actually very up in my crypto portfolio. She has a lot so of I'm great, happy to tell you what I've invested in. Great. She, you should do an, your equestrian uh, <laughs> crypto podcast. Can't wait for your equestrian <laughs> crypto podcast. But um, I also want to say, do not expect to listen to this and go, oh my God, yes, it makes perfect sense. This is an ever-evolving uh, new wave of like finance. This is- It's not like you're going to, yeah, you're not going to walk away and go, oh, I completely understand what crypto is. But I'll tell is because you what a, you will. It's a concept that's so foreign and so confusing. But what it does do, because I came in really dumb on this one, I walked away being so curious mm-hmm. and feeling like I had the Have tools to learn, more. to learn more. Yeah. Okay. Just listen. You are on a walk somewhere. You're walking your dog. You know, I'm not really a dog person, but I respect you walking your dog because they need to get out. And you are in the car driving your kids to school or home from school, you know, by yourself. And you are like, crypto, mm, not for me. Or crypto, I don't know what anything is about it. Or like, hey, like talk about, you know, the last fight you had with each other. I don't know enough about crypto to be interested. Don't turn 
the phone off or whatever is happening, however you're listening to it, right. because is this, this your way of enticing people to episode to is to learn about yes. something that you maybe don't know anything about. And I will be the first to say that I not only don't know anything about crypto, I feel an aversion to it because it makes me feel old mm-hmm. and really out of touch. And so I want you, Katie, to like help me and crypto form a relationship. Okay. So today, well, first of all, we're, we're going Katie. to do that. Yeah. Great. I feel confident. Okay. okay. We're, we're going to do that. We're going to obviously have you explain what is a blockchain. You're going to have, you know, we had hundreds of questions from people going, I want to get into this space. I want to know about this space. I don't want to feel clueless about this space. I don't know how to begin. So we're going to talk about all that, but we really want to talk about your career path. Okay. So we need to explain a little bit of Katie's background because it is very interesting. And we're going to get some of this wrong because it's just like written on a piece of paper, but it's your life. So you're going to give it to us in a better way. But I want people listening to know. And by the way, I think we have some guy listeners today because crypto is really bringing them in. Wait, hold on. I have never in my life had so many any, so much engagement with men about a podcast Sarah, episode. you're in a relationship that is not appropriate. Uh, but professional engagement. Professional engagement. Well, I, I love that because one of the things that I'm trying to do in this space and that I think we need to do more in this space is actually bridge worlds. Because yeah. a lot of crypto is about, you know, it started out kind of very niche. And one of the things that I try to do is help make it more accessible to mainstream audiences through not using jargon. And I like the idea of like bridging worlds. Mm -hmm. Even the name crypto feels very masculine. It's just like a dude word. Crypto just feels like for guys only. And I don't, I don't like that. I want it to feel like crypto. I feel like I, crypto. I want it to be crypto. On the word crypto, you know, it comes from cryptography, cryptographic systems, but actually we think about it as like a new version of the web. So let's just call it a new version of the web. Okay. Okay. So Katie's background is very interesting and confusing. And I need you to explain because it's fascinating. Okay. You were a federal prosecutor for the Department of Justice. You were given a task to go check out what's happening with Bitcoin. Bitcoin. So you were given the task to go after Bitcoin because it was enabling all of this crime and you were supposed to like squash it, but then instead you're going to tell us what you did I'm instead. I'm going to tell you that I actually used it to solve crime. I was actually asked to go investigate Bitcoin, what was told to me by my supervisor as a potentially criminal technology. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about all of that. But actually, I started out as a federal prosecutor not doing anything having to do with crypto or even computers. What was your job focused on? So I was actually a federal prosecutor with, as you said, Erin, um, the Department of Justice, the U.S. Department of Justice, like the feds. Mm-hmm. Um, people often say, oh, you were a DA because mm-hmm. they're used to like law and order, right? Yeah. So it's essentially that- Love law and order. Special yeah. victims unit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, except at the feds. Mm-hmm. So when stuff got really serious- The yeah. feds the federal are the guys that like break down a mobster's door in the middle of the night. <laughs> Is that SWAT you? SWAT team. SWAT team. Oh, that's I was the prosecutor. Team. I wasn't okay. the agent breaking down okay. the door, but sometimes watching while the doors were- Aaron actually was on CSI. I was on an episode of yeah. She I'm was sure on, you've, you've probably seen it before. It probably educated you a lot on yeah. drug addiction because yeah. I was uh, played a drug addict. Yeah. But actually, CSI is really important because, you know, we used to get asked by the juries mm-hmm. after after a verdict came in. You know, we could go talk to the juries. And they'd say, why didn't you bring forth the that 
machine, the fingerprints, all of this stuff that we see on CSI. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Um, so actually, sometimes CSI did a disservice, I think. Right. Okay. I well, agree. I apologize yeah. for participating in that. I blame Aaron for this. Yeah. But anyway, so I was a federal prosecutor for many years. Mm-hmm. And, and okay, I go, hold on. Uh, what age? Like, talk to me. Oh is my this gosh. like early? This is when I was a baby lawyer. Okay. Where like, did you go to college? I went to Boston University. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Did you grow up in Boston? No. I grew up overseas, all over the place, all over the country, all over the world. Moved every couple of years. Because your parents were in the army or no, but same same idea, like a big company moved all the time. And I think that's goes to the importance of pivots and having to do that, right? In your career, in your personal life. Always adjusting to new jargon, new environments, like do people in Cairo, Egypt really use the same terminology as the high school that I'm going to in Houston, Texas? The answer is no. Right, right, no. Do people in the federal government use the same jargon to describe things as people in the VC world? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just about learning new worlds. Right. Okay, so fine. So you're traveling your whole childhood. You end up at BU. Mm-hmm. Love Boston. And what are Love you studying Boston. at BU? I was studying international relations. Okay. I just wanted to do something global, I mm-hmm. thought. I didn't know what that was, Right. right? Um, but, you know, it's a huge school. Have you ever visited the campus? No. It's huge. No, we didn't no. go to college or have no. visited a few colleges also. Okay. Well, it's a no. huge campus. And one thing became clear to me is I need to do something else. And in order to do something else, I really need to, like, rock it here at BU. Mm-hmm. I need to get to the top of this class. Mm-hmm. And did you feel pressure? Like, did your parents put pre- Did you feel pressure to do well or you put the pressure on yourself? No, I think, you know, it's funny. Reflecting back on it, I was not actually a particularly good sc- student. In high school at all. It's surprising I even went to college. I really appreciate hearing that. No, but that's important. Listen, that's important. important. People, young people in their 20s is what we hear a lot of from our listeners and from friends is they feel a tremendous amount of shame if they haven't gotten to where they thought they would be. And I think being in college and graduating college, you sort of have this assumption you're going to have figured out more of life than you did in high school. You're going to know more of who you are and what you want to be and who you want to become. And it's helpful to hear someone successful look back and say, I didn't. I didn't, wasn't necessarily majoring in the thing I was going to end up doing. And I didn't know what to do with the information I was learning. And I wasn't great at school. Like that's good for people to hear because it's hard being in your 20s. Totally. In fact, I was, I'll, I'll go a step further and say I was bad in school up until a certain point. And you know, I ended up going to Stanford Law School. So people assume, oh, Stanford, you clerked on the Supreme Court, you're in the top of your class, you must have done all this Ivy League stuff before. And in fact, the reverse is true. Um, I wasn't a particularly good student. I was very mediocre. I was very bored, I would say. You know, in some facets of life, I have been super focused. I know this goal. How do I go do this goal? How do I get this done? And then in other aspects of life, it's been the exact opposite. Had no idea I was going to go into this field for sure. And it was serendipity, some combination of hard work, but also luck and being in the right place at the right time. And also having the right mindset to be open to possibilities, which is, I think, so important. Um, And also having the confidence to think, even if you've made it in one field, it's okay to totally kind of go start over again and be open to something else, even if you might fail in the something else. Because, you know, that's kind of the Timing of is everything, I believe. Timing I believe is timing everything. is everything in your personal life, yep. in your professional life. Timing is everything. And 
We also talk a lot about, and maybe you relate to this, but being open, right? We, I came from a place in my early 20s, I always came from a place of no. Anything that scared me, it was like, absolutely not. I'm not qualified. I can't do that. This is the thing I'm doing, so I can't go do that because I only know how to do this one thing. And the second that I changed my frame of mind, coming from a place of yes, saying yes to things that scare me, saying yes to things that I didn't know enough about. Bumble, for instance, we talk about when we were asked to be the creative directors at Bumble in 2007, we had zero experience in tech. We were not qualified. I was like, fuck it, let's try Aaron it. Aaron was right. like, fuck it. We are gonna- well, What's the worst that happens? We fail at something we never even set out to do. Right. Like, right. it's just an added bonus in our life. This is how I got into crypto, first of all. Oh, this is how okay. I ended up in venture capital, something I never even really knew what it was. Speaking of risk averse and speaking to saying, like, what you're just talking about, Sarah, saying no to things. Mm-hmm. Like, I was kind of a similar experience in my 20s. You know, my husband always jokes, he's like, you were so different in your 20s. It was like you were a DC. Everything was very kind of risk averse. You were doing what you quote unquote should be doing after you went to law school, after you did this clerkship, you went to this firm, then you became a prosecutor. You were on this path. And he he always jokes like, he's like, you were wearing St. John suits <laughs> in your 20s. <laughs> Um, and, Wait, and, we and always that, talk about St. John. We always talk about St. John because you know that woman she, that owns St. John? She puts herself in, She puts herself in all the ads. She yeah. recently said, and Aaron and I was like, we're the lady from St. John. Yes. We put ourselves in all of our own ads. We had this conversation we're a week ago. Like, I said, how Sarah, long can we put ourselves in I was in like, Sarah, should we start using models in our campaigns? And she's like, why? Are we turning into the woman from St. John? She's always <laughs> in. But it's amazing. It's her company. She's killing it. She should be in the ads. And, and, and nothing against St. John. But I was thinking like in my 20s, I was wearing these kind of very... Very conservative. It's a little, ma- it's a little mature. Chic. It's a little mature. For mature. That I think yeah. that's the you, right. You were probably taking yourself really seriously at this point in your life because you wanted to be a serious person, right? Right. There was. It was this path. So I got on this path where I was a lawyer and I was doing these things that lawyers do. And by the way, I loved becoming a prosecutor. So I, I was a prosecutor for a decade, over a decade, and I love that. But um, I think it was just being open to new possibilities after that and thinking, I don't need to just stick to law. I can do something completely different. Because the path to becoming a prosecutor, where else are you supposed to go from there? Like, Mm -hmm. you're in the Department of Justice. You're a federal prosecutor. You have dreams beyond that. Like, most people are like, I made it. Because you're at the top of the food chain in that category. So to switch categories would be really scary for someone. Well, that's exactly what we were talking about, about the importance of pivots. And especially to start over completely new in a new field. In something that is unstable. I mean, people don't know anything about like like crypto in general. It's this like new, I mean, now it's not new, but probably when you got into it, it was this whole like new lane that people didn't trust, right? It was like, you're walking away from something that is like clear and solid. You know what it's going to be at all times. And then pivoting to something that it has so many unknowns. So let's step back a little bit because we really want to mi- not miss any of your story and we want to go in a chronological order so okay. we don't like lose people, so right? Okay. About, so, so let's go where we, were, where we left off. So I'm at Stanford. Yes. I'm at Stanford Law School. And I was like 20, how old are you when you go to law school? I, mean, I think 22. I was 22. I was 22. Yeah. It's a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt very old and mature by 22, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. And um, I was at Stanford and I knew that I wanted to do something kind of in the courtroom. It's funny, you know, Stanford's pass-fail. Wait, I didn't know that. Yeah. Is it still pass-fail, I don't know. I don't think so. No, I think actually now, I'm trying to think back because I later taught at the law school and I'm thinking back, this was a few years ago, and some classes you can elect to take a grade. I would have done much better in school if I was on a pass-fail situation. Well, actually, it was really important to my career, it turns out, and here's why. 
because I'm taking these classes pass-fail. Con law, crim law, evidence, like you name it, right? Um, And many, property, torts, all of these legal topics. And I was taking some of them pass-fail per the Stanford way in those days. And actually, you know, for the model answers, there are these things at the end of the exams that are like the model answers. The professor says, here's the model answers. And it just sort of happened Guess where all of the model answers, I was like knocking it out of the park. Crim law. Crim law. So funny. Who knew? Mm. Crim law. And And you didn't even know that you were interested in that at all. No. And and yet here I was getting the model answers in crim law. And by the way, back in those days was very theoretical. And my professor um, was very theoretical. It was very academic. It was about theories of deterrence. It wasn't like, how do you get in there? Criminal procedure, Fourth Amendment, search and seizure. It wasn't actually like the guts of how you think about Mm -hmm. criminal law on TV. But I don't know. I just learned through that process that's like, oh, I must have a real interest in this. And so that was really important is like learning that. And I don't know if we would have had grades. Mm -hmm. But I I feel like I hear this now from women. I mean, men too, but women who are in college and they sort of like a light bulb goes off in the middle, you know, in your second year or third year where you're like, wait a minute hold on, I thought that when I got here, this is what I wanted to do, or I thought when I got here, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Now I know. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, and even then was different, right? So at least that put me on this path. Um, I became very interested in criminal law, criminal procedure, and evidence, even though I guess if you would have asked me when I got to Stanford Law School, I would have said, oh, I want to do international mergers and acquisitions Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. business-related. And I didn't even really know what that was. Right. Right, so it's another pivot for you it's early pivot. on in your life. Pivots you decided to pivot from pivots. what you got there to uh, to become, and you pivoted to a different thing. Right, and so then you got into criminal law. Yeah, and okay. so I left that. Um, I left law school, and I went to do a clerkship. And again, here, all of the cases that I was most drawn to—well, actually, there were two kinds, not just criminal law cases, but also employment law cases. And I realized like the common thread was there was drama and human stories behind both of those kind of cases in a way I found really interesting. And were you typically helping the employer or the employee? Well, actually, I was working for a judge. I was doing this one-year clerkship after law school. You can clerk and go work for a judge. So I wasn't helping either. I was helping a judge figure out who was right. right. And so anyway, this confirmed my interest in criminal law. And I then went to the Supreme Court and I did another clerkship there. And after, and I remember um, I clerked for Justice Kennedy, and Justice Kennedy asked me, what do you want to do after you leave the Supreme Court? And I said, I want to be a prosecutor. Wow. And that's what I went and did. And what age is this? This is like 26? This is like 20, 20 yeah, 20, 20, yeah, around that age, mid-20s. 26, young, 27. Mid-20s. Okay, so you start, you become a prosecutor. I become a prosecutor. Which is an intense job. Intense. I still remember like the first search warrant I did, which was basically in my first week on the job. And, you know, I did end up doing murder mob cases. However, not to begin with. To begin with, it was mostly organized crime kind of gangs. Do you get scared Um, at night? Like when you're doing a job like that, are you like, uh, I mean, I would feel like these people are going to come and get me. At first I did. At first I really did. I was doing um, a ring, an organized criminal ring, I remember, outside of Washington, D.C. And I remember walking to the metro at night, leaving the federal building, looking over my shoulder, being very paranoid. I think, though, actually, the truth is that they often go after their own more. 
is one of the things that I saw. But for the first few months, it was definitely scary. But it's look, it's part of the job, and it's a job I loved. And it's a job you love. You were, by the way, you were happy. You couldn't even fathom potentially leaving it completely. So you're in it. I'm. You're loving it. it. I'm going to be a judge one day. Right. Well, I actually hoped I would be the first female FBI director. If I'm telling the truth. Okay. So that. Okay. So Mm. at 27, 28, your goal was. If you, I had a goal, if I had a dream job, if you would have asked me back in those days, what's your dream job? It would have been FBI director. Um, just because it sounds Has like there fun been and, a female yet? No. No. Wow. Can you believe it? No. Wait, there's oh. never. That's a good question. No, no, there has not. Okay. Um, that's important to, we got to fill that out. Anyway, role. let's back I up. I think so shocking. Yeah. Do you think yeah, Sarah no. and I should do it? Oh, yeah. You, you're qualified for sure. <laughs> well, I'm saying the two of us together. So you can pick up where I can't, and I'll pick up where you can't. Put in a good word for us. Because we, if that job is open, Aaron and I, I, can I, see I you think both we at could, Quantico. Yeah, I really can. Yes. You. <laughs> you know, thank you. Are you a woman? Do you have ovaries? Do you have a uterus? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have children? Mm-hmm. Then you are in the right place mm-hmm. because we are here to talk to you about modern fertility. Okay? We love this company. We love this company because it is truly making information accessible. It's making it easy to get the days of having to find the right doctor, make an appointment, see if you have the insurance, go in, take all these tests, wait for your results. It's a pain in the ass. Here's what I'm going to say. Is it a little awkward when you run into an old friend you went to high school with or the fertility doctor? I'm going to just be clear with you. It is awkward. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is it more awkward when that woman is like, oh, I'm having a hard time having my second child. And I'm like, bitch, mm-hmm. that's unfair. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So would I rather do the initial tests at home in the privacy of my home where I can just cry in front of Simon alone? Mm-hmm. Also, yes. Yeah. That is what we are offering you. Okay. It is an at-home hormone fertility test. It can help you find out a lot of different things. It has a lot of insights that it can give you. And once you get your results, you can talk to someone online that is knowledgeable that can tell you what your results mean. If you're saying like, okay, I've got a FSH of 12. You're like, I don't know. Is that, am I winning? Am I losing? Who knows? Someone will explain to you that that number is either good or bad based on your age and all of the information. But even if you're done having children or you don't want to have children, it can it can guide you to understand what your body is going through, when you might hit menopause. It gives you all the information. Is that what you're using it for? <laughs> also, it is just a simple finger prick and it unlocks a ton of insight about your reproductive health, okay? And you get your results within 10 days. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the first test when you go to modernfertility.com slash foster. That means that your test will cost $139 instead of the several hundred or even thousand plus dollars that it would cost at a doctor's office. I can confirm that. So get $20 off your first fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash foster. That is modernfertility.com slash foster. I always change my voice a little bit when talking about Dipsy. Yeah, you use your sexy voice. It's just a little bit of a different vibe over mm-hmm. here. Maybe I'm secretly um, auditioning to, you know. Be a Dipsy contributor? hmm Yes. Well, you know, we recently saw the uh, Goop sex documentary together. Mm-hmm. Um, really we- blowing the lid off of the conversation of intimacy and getting in touch with your okay, sexual well, we're not self. Pro- we're not promoting that right now. No, we're, we're not. All but I Dipsy, was going to say yes. is that you learn your sexual language. Maybe your sexual language is kink. Maybe. Maybe you're a little kinky. Maybe. Dipsy Stories, it's an app 
full of sexy audio stories, and now they even have brand new written stories. They also have wellness sessions that help you wind down and explore, and sleep sessions to help you drift off, which I really need that. You know, I think it's a clean, healthy way to get turned on and to explore new creative ways to feel alive down there. There are hundreds of stories to choose from. They release new content every week, so there is always more to explore. Mm -hmm. So for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash foster. That is 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash foster. Dipsystories.com slash foster. Okay, so anyway, back in those days, I'm doing kind of what you would expect a prosecutor that you would watch on TV to do, kind of. Um, Slamming your hand on a, on a desk, being very mad, putting people in prison. Major crimes, mm-hmm. cases in my 20s. So I'm there. Um, my mom always said, they'll never see you coming. Ooh. Very true. At what age did she but start saying that Being to you? underestimated is the greatest gift oh, of all time. Completely. I always say that it is such a good gift. It's a bug and a feature. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think it's really important. Um, and so anyhow, we're doing those kind of cases. I'm thank goodness for like amazing mentors and in places you don't even necessarily think you'll find were them. Were your mentors men or women? Both. A lot of men over the years, um, but actually on that job, on in, and I was in what was called the rocket docket. It's outside of DC. Cases move really fast. It's in the Eastern District of Virginia. Um, that, that district was known for like the terrorism cases after 9-11. Things go to trial very quickly, and there was a woman, Tracy, um, and I won't, I'll leave out her last name, but Tracy taught me how to do a search warrant, and I'll never forget it. Are you still in touch with her? I am. That's yeah. cool. Love I like that. when yeah. women mentor other women because sometimes it's really hard for a woman who's made it in a man's world to then help the next woman coming up because they feel threatened by it. Totally. We, we've talked a lot about this. I hope we can come back to that because we talk a lot about this zero-sum game kind of mentality that I think we still exists. And Katie yeah. doesn't go around and talk about this a lot, but her actions, like the amount of women she's dropping the ladder for and bringing along with her on this journey, I think the walking is probably even more important than the talking yep, sometimes. Absolutely. Listen, yeah. I'm just getting, we're just getting to know you. We've spoken a few times, but I have to say, you are so supportive. Like I, she's already it, supportive of us taking she's the already role supportive. at the FBI. She is supportive of us taking the role at the FBI. But you really do come from a place of, I want to help you. Where do you want to go? I want to help you. This is what you want to do. I can let me help you get there. And by the way, we just met. Yeah. I can't even fathom what you're like with your friends or with people you know really well or people you work with. I see how you're with Rachel right now who works for you, but you would never know it. She is like your 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 partner in this. You're like, you're just freaking awesome. Look, basically, I think it's about finding great talent. Um, and it happens to be that a lot of that great talent that I've been able to connect with has been women. But a lot of great talent also, obviously— in men. And I've also had tremendous male mentors. You know, I think one of the other things is like looking for female mentors. um, And I found them in very unusual places. And sometimes it's about a stage of someone's life. Like I still remember, by the way, I still remember like LinkedIn, random LinkedIn people. Like, you know, I would reach out to people on LinkedIn, like, you're my hero. You just, and I just read an article about you and you just had twins. And can I have coffee with you? And now I step back and realize like, 
why would I have expected that person to like accept my LinkedIn request and go to coffee with me because they just said they had twins and they were taking on a role at a company that just went public. I think one thing that I always encourage people to do is look at the stage of the person you're asking for time with. Where are they in their life? Where are they in their career? Are they going to have a time? Are they going to be able to make meaningful time for you? Um, so I've I think felt that's that before. Like I've had women reach out to me asking to help them like read a script or help them with their writing. And I've felt at those times, like I'm still figuring out how to write. I'm still figuring out how to form my career. I don't really know how to make room to help someone else. Not because I don't want them to have a place for it, but because I'm still struggling to figure out my role or my place or how to keep my head above water. And sometimes I felt like, fuck, I'm not really ready to mentor someone. Like I'm still mentoring myself. You know, I'm not there yet. Early on, like in your 20s, this was the case for me and my 30s, figuring out the right way to ask for support or mentorship. And it's like a swing in the, and a miss sometimes. Yeah. So once in a while, I'd say, hi, if you just, if I reached out to someone I admired and said, can you help me get a job? They were like, I, no. <laughs> and like, but then later, if you're like, hi, I'd love to take 30 minutes. I'm about to do an interview. I know you've gone through this before. Right. Make you it know, specific. Very yeah. specific. And I remember starting to get feedback like, oh, they have time for that. So yeah, fig- figuring out. Yeah. And then you, that never Because asking someone stops. to like solve your life or like figure out your whole career or what you're supposed to do is like intimidating for someone, especially right. because we all have such um, unexpected paths to get to where we got to. So it's very hard to tell someone else how to get there yeah. when yeah. you didn't right. ma- you didn't plan. And, and most of it is like accidents that you embraced. And how do you tell someone how to have that same path? You know, I think it's kind of an important lesson where mentorship is really important in specific ways, but also that someone else isn't going to necessarily have the answer of how to figure your own life out because everyone's coming to the table with such a unique position in the world that another person can't really pave the way for you. Well, then it flips too and you start making decisions. You've gone through this. I think when you joined boards, a lot of your legal colleagues were like, that is crazy. So you also start to get feedback unsolicited where people tell you the things you're doing are a little crazy or nuts or not good for your career. I've Sometimes you have to ignore those but voices. But by the way, yeah. how many people told you you were nuts for leaving? Well, we're going to get there. Let's get there. Like you're you're in, you're a prosecutor, you're loving your job. Loving you, it. You're, you're being mentored, you're being helped. And then- Take us to the point where you decide, well, take us to the point where you're assigned this life-changing. Well, actually, there's like a decade in between. So let's fast forward because this is, um, this was in my days when I was back in Washington, D.C. So I was doing these cases. I remember my first trial. By the way, I think one of the themes that's so important in everything is just um, realizing that you can't figure everything out on day one and it's totally okay. I In fact, I often give, when I'm asked career advice, I'm like, take a job where you don't know anything about at least half of it. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Okay, take it. Take a job where you don't know. Okay, that's anything, really good advice. at least half. Right. I, I like that. I like that too. Right. And, and by the way, if you know 50% of, or, or skills, 50% of the skills that will be needed, even if it's from another context. By um, the way, all of our ventures that are right now doing pretty well, I would say we knew maybe half. Maybe yeah, half. If that. If that. And yeah. it keeps it interesting. Yeah. It keeps it interesting. Okay. okay. It keeps you hungry and it keeps yeah. you actively like learning. You know, learning and reaching out to people that know way more than you in the space. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. And then you can like let your own kind of yeah. 
career run. It's really good advice. Yeah, I love so that. So I think that's really important. Yeah. But um, I remember still being in court the first time a federal judge looked at me and said, Miss Han, what's your proffer? What's and a I proffer? Thought, I didn't even know. I didn't know. Oh. I didn't know. <laughs> and I still remember, how can I not know that? You're like, I went to Stanford. Like, I have to know that. How they didn't teach us. ever fucking tell me what a proffer is? <laughs> I paid for Stanford. Stanford. <laughs> they did not teach actual law at oh Stanford God. Law School or how to practice it. Oh I know God. I'll get in trouble for okay, saying guys, that. Guys, what is a proffer? Well, we'll Google it later. No, it was tell like, us. what is your offer of evidence that the oh. government is professing it has? All these but hard I didn't know words. That. Just say yeah. that. And, and you know what? I mean, I've, I I, an that. offer of evidence should really be a voffer, okay, not a proffer. Exactly. It's Go really on. misnamed, like Thank crypto, you. which we'll talk about at some point today. But anyway, <laughs> getting back to this, I just remember being terrified in that moment. And you know what? That made me have a thicker skin. Mm-hmm. All of those moments, yeah. I think it's necessary yeah. to just develop confidence. Yeah. Even when I started in VC, I was like writing under the table, like, what is this? What does this acronym stand for? Note yeah. to self. Look oh. this But wait, up. Katie, what did you yeah. do when the judge is asking you what's I your proffer? Did I, you just like pick, I just like, froze it? and I just remember thinking, and he finally got like, oh, she she maybe doesn't, doesn't get this. He helped you out. He helped um, you out. Which now is so embarrassing a decade after a, a But don't you think it's empowering? Because we talk about this a lot. I always feel really empowered when I get stuck in a moment where I feel panicked and I want to pretend like I know what the person's talking about. Yeah. And then I decide to pivot and just say, yeah, I don't know what that is. Can you please explain it to me? And it kind of shifts the energy in the room because there's always like this power dynamic of like the judge is like trying to do yes. his best job. You have another prosecutor in the room with you. You're being put on the spot. But if you diffuse it by going, I'm going to be honest, it's my first day here and I don't know what that is. It's much it's so more likable. And it's more real. It's more authentic, which I think people, it's hard not to like authenticity. Yes. Right? And then yeah. that person remembers their first day when they didn't know something. Right. Mm-hmm. So so right. did you pretend like you knew what it was? No, I think finally the judge realized I didn't know. And he was like, what is the offer of evidence that you would say? And you're like, you I know? knew that's what you meant. I was like <laughs> pausing. <laughs> but anyway, the point is we had a lot of those moments um, when I was like a, yeah. a beginner prosecutor that now I, I'm sure any prosecutor, if they tune Also, the this, stakes will, are pretty like, high in a courtroom to be like, yeah. hey, judge, sorry, I actually am not quite sure what that means. The right. stakes are a little higher than yeah. the, the rooms that Anyway, in, I learned. Yeah. Fast forward, I learned what a proffer was. I learned <laughs> other things about important evidentiary rules that, you know, Stanford had not taught me. I'll just go ahead and say right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's really important to admit what you don't know. And yeah. you know what I did as a prosecutor later? You know, even some, like, FBI agents in a kind of technical matter, like if it was, like, a DNA specialist or someone on the evidence recovery team would be talking very technically to me. And I would be like, you know what? If I don't understand what you're saying, the jury's not going to understand. So, Smart. actually, let's break that down again and let's try that over. I and, like that. And I, like I think that then too. embracing, I started saying, you know, I'm a really smart person, and if I don't get it, they're not going to get it. Yes, Or the that. judge isn't going to get it. Love that. So that's what I started using, and I think that was very authentic. I yeah. don't understand exactly what you're saying. I think I'm capturing some of it, but, like, let's try and explain it to me in another way so that I can make sure I'm explaining it clearly. And that's one of the things that I think prosecutors have to do because you have a jury of people or you have a judge or you have a grand jury and you don't know who those people are, what their backgrounds are, what their specialists are. They probably in. didn't go to Stanford Law School. Well, you, you, I hope not because then I would have used a peremptory challenge on them. I'll just say that right now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want lawyers on a jury. They cannot see black and white. Um, yeah. Wait, are lawyers allowed to be on a jury? They are. They, they are, are allowed to be on a jury. I would yeah. think in, during selection process, those well, yes. people get thrown out real, real early. Well, I just said the word peremptory challenge, which is one of the challenges that yeah. you can use. Yeah. Um, and by the way, the defense— 
attorney can also challenge jurors. Right. So right. that happens. Right, mm-hmm. right. By the way, I once got called Nancy Drew. Oh, by in that a process by a juror? judge. Oh, by no, a by judge. a judge. And I think she That's meant really it as a diss. Was by a woman? Yes. Yeah, and I think she meant it as a diss, but I took it as a compliment because <gasps> I don't know surprised. about you, but I like You should Nancy take it as a compliment. Yeah. I'm not yeah. surprised. Interesting that a woman called you that. Yeah. She told me I was sleuthing all over the Bay Area, which oh I'm already God. getting into a different topic. See, this is the beauty of not working for the government anymore because yeah. I yeah. don't think I would have been able to say these things. For sure, I wouldn't have been be. able to tell about a judge told me this. But no, you wouldn't be. These moments, you know, you, these moments stick with you when people do or say things, yeah. right? Of Some of them. They do. Yeah. Good and bad. Yeah, yeah. of course. So anyway, um, I was doing those prosecutions, and then I there was a new division created at headquarters of the Justice Department in Washington, D.C., called the National Security Division. Mm-hmm. Um, this is after 9-11, and okay. through certain commissions like the Patriot Act and the WMD Commission, they recommended creation of a special national security unit, and I went to work there. How so, did you get that job? Someone thought you'd be right for it, yes. or you heard it was happening? Okay, someone thought you'd be right for it and recruited you Correct. to go to that unit. I still had my prosecutor job. It was kind of like I was out on loan to that division. It's mm-hmm. all right. part of the same right, umbrella, right, right. U.S. Justice Department. Mm-hmm. Got it. So I go to that, and I'm working national security subject matter all of a sudden, which is very interesting. So kind of Back think to about— your international relations mm, uh, exactly. major at college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And that was really very interesting to me to kind of see what was going on at the time. So I got to go down to like Miami, I remember, because the Jose Padilla, the Dirty Bomber case was going on. And I got to go down and be part of that trial. That was really interesting. But also just see all of this terrorism litigation going on all over the country. And also remember, like during those days, this was like the days that— This is early 2000s. 2006, 2006. Mm -hmm. 2007, kind of circa that time frame. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing is um, I wanted to explore leaving and going to California and leaving D.C. I had been in D.C. for eight or nine years as a prosecutor, then, you know, clerking as a prosecutor, um, being kind of what I would call a baby lawyer, um, and then doing national security. And then, by the way, I got another promotion to work for the attorney general. Now, that is after they lent you to this sort of new umbrella that you were doing? Correct. Exactly. At the national security division. And then I went to work for the attorney general doing similar stuff. So now I'm at like the, you know, advising the highest levels of the Justice Department. I mean, it doesn't get higher than the attorney general. Mm -hmm. Um, You are climbing that ladder quickly. Well, and hold on. I want to ask you this. So- yeah. I'm sure there were challenges along the way, but the pieces that we're highlighting, it feels like you are having an easy time moving up in the system. What would you attribute that to? Did you feel like you were someone people liked working with, that you were good with people, that you were agreeable, easygoing, not confrontational, confident? Like, <laughs> are what these were, the adjectives people describe me? When I, Rachel, like, what, no. So what are the things that, because, you know, not everybody moves up in the world, right? Yeah. Some people get stuck where they are yeah. and they get in their own way. My own advice, like when I ask Katie for advice, I'm like, actually, you're so much more comfortable with confrontation than I am. Even though I've had to like confront my discomfort, I've had to get through it, find my own way. But when you watch Katie go through all aspects... So what's your answer mm. to yeah, that? Yeah, so what's your answer for why you're moving up? I don't think and of it as confrontational. I think of it as more like direct. Like direct. I, and, and I actually oh. want to save you time. Are you direct? Yeah. Oh. yeah. And, and, and why is that? Because I actually think that I want to save you time. I want to save me time. To me, it's actually like, why beat around the bush? Let me just share this with you. All the women that I respect, all the women that I look up to are direct. And it's really? weird because I'm comfortable in confrontation, which is— 
I don't know. Or is that a good thing? I mean, some may say that it is. It's probably good and bad. It's, right? it's good and bad. Like everything. Yes, but I do have a hard time being direct. I never, I and I and I'm sure it falls into uh, you know, being insecure yeah. or afraid of rejection or whatever it is, but I I want to be more direct in my life. I want to be more direct in business. And it's really hard. It is hard, especially because what I find is I've gotten told before, oh, it's aggressive. Right. Right? Like or it's you're a like, bad you're a thing. Bitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I do feel like it's important to have confidence um and be direct, but then there is also this other side where people will be like, well, you're so aggressive. It's so aggressive. But to answer your earlier question of like, why did I succeed in this environment? Yeah. You know, actually, I've never been asked that. So thank you for asking me Good. an original question like that. And what I would say is I just had, I, I think I just had a moment where I realized what it is that unifies this. And it's true for crypto too. It's I was in a subject matter area that was new that there was a lot of interest in. And I think that's why I was able to kind of leapfrog over levels. And I think that's true now with crypto. So back in those days, it was national security. Um, And of course, national security is not a topic that was new, but national security and law. How do we think about enemy combatants balancing like the constitutional considerations? I'm just going to say that like, this is this was like kind of a new area. You were area. enthusiastic about your job. Yeah, and That's it was a what new area of the law. Yeah. And same with crypto. It's a new area, and a, there's a lot of mainstream interest in it now. And so um, by being kind of early in that field and by being at the National Security Division early, thinking about some of these issues and what are the legal issues early, by being early in crypto, I think that was one of the ways. And then, of course, hard work, good luck, um, Timing, to your point about timing being everything. That is good advice, though, because the newness, like in tech, like a career in tech, a career in venture, career in law, where something's growing, something's new, there are opportunities there. And then you can catch those tailwinds. Yeah. Instead of what something more old timey. Do you learn about do you learn about crypto? What year? In 2012. And then really in 2000, early 2013. But in between there, I had a move. So I left these kind of higher level jobs in headquarters in the Justice Department and went back what we call back to the line. And I decided, you know, I could do this anywhere. I could do this in California too. You know, remember I had been at Stanford? Okay. Yep. So I coming back to California. Um, And that was, yeah, around 2009. And then after that, I had done a number of murder cases. And I was just ready to do something else. Ooh, I'm excited about this one because it's really nice to, we are obviously very, um, particular about the ads that we do. We never want to, you know, talk about companies that we do not personally use or recommend. And Rothy's is a company that we have been wearing and using for a long time. Our kids, our mother. Didn't mom steal a Rothy's bag from you? She always steals Rothy's from me. But there's a bag particularly that I believe she stole from you. Yeah, it was like a messenger bag. Oh, I thought it was like a bucket bag. It was like a messenger bag, you know like what? a navy one. I think she's stolen both. I'm sure she has. I use a, my Rothy's bag as my travel bag because it's like a very good over-the-shoulder kind of like, what are those bags called? Like a bigger bag that you wear over your shoulder that you can put your computer in. No? Doesn't have a name for it? I don't know. Everything they Messenger do, bag, like yeah. you just said. I Everything think. they do is amazing. They have men's, they have women's, they have kids. Also, I wear my leopard slipper. All the time. You wear those all the time. My little slides. My yeah. little like ballet slippers, my leopard ones. I wear them all the time. I get compliments all the time. And This uh, company is very trendy. All the celebs are wearing it. 
Um, they say that the shoes are like walking on a cloud and I will agree that they are. They are also sustainably made with materials like plastic water bottles. They are fully machine washable and they are available in tons of shapes, styles, colors. So you can always find the right one for you. Love a sustainable company. By the way, women, women founded. Females are just doing it right. So to help you welcome the fall season in style, Rothy's is doing something special. That is right. They gave us the chance to share this super rare opportunity with our listeners for a limited time. Right now, you can get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash foster. That is R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash foster. So head to rothys.com slash foster to find your new favorite styles today. All right, Framebridge is a company that is just we're completely surrounded by. Physically surrounded by it right now because we Physically are surrounded, surrounded by, by photos that I have framed with Framebridge. Also, listen, it's very simple. The holidays are coming up and it is very confusing figuring out what to get people. The go-to perfect gift for someone that you can't figure out what to get them for is a frame photo. You can frame a photo of yourself alone to give them or a frame of you guys together. It just feels more thoughtful. It feels like, oh my God, look at Sarah. She is so thoughtful. She gave me a framed photo of herself for Christmas. That is honestly a realistic scenario. Yeah. You literally go to their website, you download your photo, and then you customize. I think you actually upload your photo. You upload your, what's the difference? Download is taking something there oh, and like out, bringing and it onto your computer. Is it upload is taking something from your computer right. and putting it up okay, on the website. You upload it. And you can choose from, I don't know, a bajillion options of frames. Hmm. Not only just photos. Maybe it's a diploma. Maybe it is a, uh, a a picture your kid drew for you. Whatever it is, they just make it very easy. Maybe. So instead of paying hundreds of dollars that you pay at the framing store, their prices start at $39. All of their shipping is free. Plus, our listeners are getting 15% off your first order at framebridge.com when you use our code FOSTER. You can order online at framebridge.com. You can also go to a Framebridge store to work with a designer in person. They are in New York, D.C., Atlanta, Philly, or Boston. Chicago is coming soon. Also, October is gallery wall month at Framebridge, which means they are featuring the launch of six new gallery wall layouts. So get started today. Frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift. Go to framebridge.com and use the promo code FOSTER to save an additional 15% off your first order. That is framebridge.com, promo code FOSTER, framebridge.com, promo code FOSTER. Let's fast forward to crypto. So I was I was like, you know, should I leave the government altogether? I'm kind of ready for something else. Um, and I was going to leave. And I thought, what will I do? I'm in California. I'm staying in California. And so... There are all these tech companies, but what would they hire me to do? Kind of be an in-house right, lawyer, like in-house legal, like right? What, okay, which was just not. So you had no backup. You had me. no offer. You were just over no. it, and you were going to figure out. You were going to figure it out. In later. fact, one of my bosses, who we can talk about at some point, because um, he was a real mentor of mine, and I tried some of these cases with him. I told him when I came back from maternity leave, I was like, "Just so you know, you probably don't want to assign me any more cases because I'm out of here in a couple months." And he's like, "Well, okay." Um, Thanks for the heads up. Another boss tells me, hey, you know, why don't you do some of like the online stuff? We're in California. We have all this online activity. What about the dark net? I don't know anything about the dark web. I just know it's it's horrendous. It's awful. And you can anyone access it? And Anyone can access it. Oh, yeah. really? But don't you need yeah. like a special server? Yeah, but it's easy to download. No. But it, I've done a lot it. Of- I've downloaded it because part of my class, I downloaded it. 
Um, but the, no pun intended. There's a lot of dark shit on there, right? A lot there of is. It's child, all dark. child pornography, oh, yeah. sex trafficking, ransomware drugs. as a service hacking as a service and there's just no way to regulate can't you kill someone on there you can hire someone to kill someone well there are marketplaces like that but i will say craigslist however the truth is the government has taken down a lot of darknet sites right Right. it's a little bit like whack-a-mole though like when the government takes down one other ones pop up of course Um, but the government keeps taking them down and you can't shut down the dark web you can't shut it would be like can can you shut down the internet no no well instagram went down recently for a day So, I mean, pieces of it can can get shut down, right? Well, this this is actually, this is exactly bringing <laughs> us to crypto and how it's hard to shut down crypto. It's very hard. And so let's turn to that. So my bosses said, wow. check out Bitcoin because it's being used. It's criminal technology. You know, we might need to like investigate this and stop it. And I didn't know anything about it. Like unlike many who read the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper in 2008, which Let's is, by the way, the find white out what that is. Okay, so it's the white paper that explains what Bitcoin is, and it's. I written. think I need to read it. You guys, What's that? you should. I think I need to read it. Yeah, you'll. And and by the way, and I'll say this right here. So it's like a I manifesto mean, of like what Bitcoin yeah. is. But here's the thing, and no one knows who Satoshi is. Well, so. yeah. Okay, well, let, so anyway, let yeah. let, let's okay. just talk about this for a second, and I'm going to say it right here. I had to read that white paper numerous times to let it sink in. And I think that's true for a lot of people in the space, and they won't admit it. Mm, I love no. that you're admitting oh, it. Oh, I'll just, I read the Satoshi white paper and it all clicked. Like, like I Satoshi, actually, it makes so much sense. I read it once. If, maybe if right you're in. a distributed systems computer scientist, okay. But honestly, I think most people need to read it several times. So it's you should read it. part manifesto, part super technical, very hard. I've read it three times. I still barely, but... But it was like the original explanation of what Bitcoin was. Exactly. It was the promise of what this could be. Satoshi. 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 Did Satoshi invent Bitcoin? Yeah. Yeah. Now, so here's the thing. Satoshi Nakamoto is anonymous. And so it could be a person. It could be a group of people. There are a lot of theories swirling around. This is cool. But the idea here is that when I got this assignment, I had never read this white paper, by the way. Never. Didn't know what it was. I was like, yep, let's go open this case. We're going to take this down. And I, my husband was like, do you even know what Bitcoin is? Because I know what it is. And you sound kind of foolish if you say that. So watch what you say. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in 2012, no one really, yeah. no one was taking Bitcoin seriously. No, no. one, I mean, well, yes, okay. some people were. Maybe some, some of the early ad- adopters, yeah. w- which like the Winklevoss twins, you know, I don't know. Like yeah. there were people, yeah. by the way, no one even knew how to get it. Yeah. But you were set out from set your out. boss yeah. to essentially get rid of Bitcoin. Yes, but we quickly realized, no, it's just a technology like any other. It would be like if I told you the internet is bad or cash. Cash is bad. Like you can use cash for bad things. You can use cash for good things. Same with the internet. It makes sense. I thought the dark web was only used for negative and bad things, right? So you were under the assumption that crypto or Bitcoin, crypto or Bitcoin was being used for only bad things. It was a negative thing. So you were set out to essentially take it down or get rid of it. Which is, by the way, not possible. Right. So it's not possible. And I learned that because Bitcoin is distributed. And that's actually one of its best features Mm, is that it's distributed and it's resistant um, to kind of being taken down in that but ma- manner. But this also opens up this conversation yeah. about, you know, with Facebook and Twitter and uh, Google and all the misinformation that's out there, and you watch Mark Zuckerberg and uh, and Jack 
Dorsey, right? I'm mm-hmm. get the names right. Um, sitting there in these uh, like grilling interviews, and the guys that are interviewing them have no clue, though even the questions to ask. Mm. And this is like one yep. of the bigger issues: is like you had this high level job at the government, and you're being sent out to like squash Bitcoin because right. the people there. Are, have aged out of whatever the new thing on the internet is, right? Like they don't understand no. it, which is why we're in this position right now of people saying like, you know, Facebook has to do this or Twitter has to do that. And it's like, who's going to decide? Because it's like 24-year-old nerds in their parents' basement that mm-hmm. actually understand what's going on right now. Yeah, well, I, I have to say, Aaron, it was really important, I think, for me at that time to be like, oh, I don't understand it. Yeah. And I need to understand more yeah. about it yep. um, before I form an opinion on it. And so I did that. And so I tried to kind of read more about it. By the way, there was like, and there's still no class, but mm-hmm. there were, there were back in those days, even less materials online. Like now you could go read about all kinds of different cryptocurrencies um, or crypto architecture, crypto networks. But back in those days, less so. But so I, I read articles about it. I talked to agents who, younger agents typically, who were familiar with it. Um, and was tried to, Bitcoin the only it was the only yeah, currency at the time. It was the now. only thing at the time. Okay, because mm-hmm. this is like 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. And what I realized quickly, actually, um, with the help of you know reading stuff and talking to other people, and I was trying to talk to experts too. Like, what is this? Explain this to me. Explain it to me in a way I can understand. And I really realized early on, this is a technology like anything that can be used for good and bad. And so what I did was I prosecuted a couple early cases where Bitcoin was used for bad. And actually, a lot of people, even in the early Bitcoin community, on in the case of two cases I did, were like, oh, we agree that's bad. And we want you to prosecute that. I mean, they didn't tell me that. I'm just saying now, in retrospect, it was bad for the space. They didn't yeah. want it to be used in this way. So one of the cases was a public corruption case involving corrupt federal agents, mm. which is unusual, to say right. the least, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you see it on TV, but it doesn't happen really in real oh, life. okay. That's good to know. So I got a tip that, you know, there was some sketchy behavior going on um, by on the part of a federal agent. And because of Bitcoin and the blockchain ledger, you which we're going to talk them. about, I what we were able to catch them. Without mm-hmm. blockchain, mm-hmm. We, they would still be federal agents today instead of in prison today because they knew exactly how to cover their tracks in this centralized world but they could not escape Bitcoin, the ledger that we could go look at publicly that they couldn't alter. Okay, can we explain? Because yeah. I'm really confused. I know what you want to say. What's blockchain? No, yeah. well, I want to know what blockchain is, but I also want to understand what this ledger is yeah. and why, what the, is, does, can you explain what you just said? Yeah, I don't yeah, understand. sure. So basically blockchain, in the case of Bitcoin, there's a blockchain underlying it. And it's basically like a big public ledger where everyone can see movements of value. And it's a shared ledger that's controlled by no one person. And there's a finite amount, right? There, in the case of Bitcoin, there's a finite amount of Bitcoin. Sorry. So there's a, there's like one place that you could go to see like which, which Bitcoin has been used for what? Well, you can't see what it's been used for, but you can see the movements of that the That it Bitcoin. has been used that it's been used, but that, it's, that value has transferred from point A to point B. And do you know who owns B. the Bitcoin that got used? We were able to find that out, yes. Wow. Okay. Which you could so never is, do with the currency. Is this would, like how when you do something on the internet, it's it's related back to a person's IP, and so then you can know who, what computer was using? A bit like that. We weren't okay. using IP addresses, but it was a bit like that. We had to 
put a lot of different pieces together, which investigators always have to put different pieces of evidence together. And so I realized early on, oh, wait, we can use this technology for good. And then, do you remember hearing about Mt. Gox? It was a big Japanese cryptocurrency exchange, and it was hacked Mm -hmm. to the tune of like a couple hundred million dollars at the time, I believe, right, Rachel? A couple hundred million at the time, but now it would be billions of dollars. And early kind of startups, startups in the space like Coinbase were exchanges, which allowed you to take what fiat currency, which Which is is like dollars, dollars, euros, and onboard into crypto by Bitcoin. And be able to, and then like trade, buy and sell Bitcoin or so other Can currencies. you explain, can you just give me the definition? What is crypto? So basically, what is Bitcoin? it's a distributed system of computing. And how we think about crypto are, is basically like a new kind of computing system. So, so I shouldn't think of it as money. No, I think in the case of Bitcoin, it has value. Right, um, much in the same way like gold has value, or even like yap stones in Micronesia have value. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's a stone that they use for currency. Mm-hmm. I think it's in Micronesia, like, like in the real world. Yeah, in the real mm-hmm. world, and gold people use gold for you know. Because I think of crypto like money, and then Bitcoin is like dollars. It's a type of money. Well, I well, think not yeah. true. So well, no, Bitcoin is a currency, mm-hmm. right? Bitcoin is considered a currency where Ethereum is a technology. Is that that's correct? Okay, um, that is correct. But I think one of the things we should dispel right off the bat yeah. is that crypto is only about currency, and it's okay. kind of you know it's understandable why people think that crypto equals currency because of, of the term cryptocurrency. Yeah. yeah. But the truth is, crypto is about much more than just currency. And I think, Sarah, what you just said about Ethereum is a great example of that. So Ethereum is basically like a new computing system. Let me use an analogy, see if this yeah. works. Think about iOS on Apple mm-hmm. or Android mm-hmm. on your on Google, mm-hmm. right? Those are different operating systems. Yes. Yep. And by the way, like any new kind of computing platform, like we had the internet, we had PCs, then we had the internet, then we had mobile. Think back to the early days of mobile. Like when was this? 2008? Like when we had had like Snake on our phone or past that? Wait, what? What's the Snake? What's the Snake on your Nokia phone? Oh. Thank you, Allison, for nodding. Nobody played Snake (laughs) on their Nokias? No. 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 Thank God Allison's here. People listening will remember what Snake is. Okay. I okay. have no idea. I have no idea either. Well, anyway, so you have this mobile phone, and that's like a new computing system. And think about 2008 when it comes out. People are like, why would I use this instead of a PC desktop? Right. Or sorry, a right. desktop, right? right? It felt the completely des- foreign. It felt yeah. foreign. The yeah. desktop, you have a computer or a desktop. You know, you have a keyboard. You can yeah. sit there. It's more user-friendly. It does stuff faster. Remember early mobile? Yeah, people was, are comfortable in what they're using. They don't exactly, have to like, bingo. You know, and yeah. so like the little tiny keyboard, like yeah. what, you know. However, each new computing platform has new features built in that the old computing platform doesn't have. So in the case of mobile, what are the new features? You have a phone in your pocket. You have a GPS in your pocket. You have apps. What else? apps. Like so, and this gives rise having a GPS and a camera in your pocket give rise to new applications. Like it gave rise to Instagram, Uber, Uber, Instacart. Mm -hmm. Like we could go on and on. And it's always intimidating. It's always, right? I never want to upgrade my phone because I'm like, no, I'm already, I like the button on my iPhone. I don't, swiping is too Uber is impossible without that technology. Understanding where you are and where other things are. Exactly, because think Uber wouldn't have been what it is today if you had had to have 
only a desktop version, right? So my point is with the old computing platform, at first when it comes out, things can be a little janky. Maybe you don't like the keyboard size. It's not as user-friendly. But the new features are actually going to unlock new applications. Meanwhile, each new iPhone got better, didn't it? Like we're only talking about iPhone. Obviously there are other brands, but like it got better. The user experience improved. Yeah. If you go back and look at those early, have you ever gone and found an old iPhone? You're like, oh my God, I forgot. Ancient. It looks so it's ancient. Like, yeah. So ancient. So and it happened and quickly. The, and the use cases in the early days, it was like music. Messaging. And phones. Yeah. yeah. Right. right? It was iPods. Yeah, iPods. iPods. Like, yeah. And then fast forward, just even in a decade, now we have like Instagram, Uber. I mean, on and on and on, right? So think of crypto as this new computing platform. Mm. So you know, Sarah, you mentioned Ethereum. It's a new computing platform. And right now, people will say, well, it's not as fast, you know, as Visa, for example. Um, it can only process this many transactions in a second. But again, here. There's no middleman. There's no middleman. But here's the big difference also. You can't judge the current state of the innovation by the end state of the innovation. Right. Because we're you know, early. We're early. We are early. So this is basically the way to think of blockchains, to answer your question, mm-hmm, Aaron, mm-hmm. it's a new kind of computer, but it's a computer, a new kind of computing platform, yeah. but one that's not owned by a central actor. So I mentioned iOS and Android earlier. Those are owned by Apple and Google. Mm-hmm. The Ethereum network is owned by the community. Right. Mm. So, this reminds me of like the Katie Couric interview that she posts sometimes when she's learning about what the internet is. Uh-huh. And she's like, okay, so you go to www, which is the world, the World Wide Web is a new thing. Have you heard about this? And, and it feels so dated. I feel like that's the conversation we're having. No, right? it is. But in it 10 is. years, you will look back at this and yes, say, it is. Oh. And you were saying on yeah. the New York Times podcast, you were like, think about like how revolutionary it was. It was to, to figure out email, right? right? You could just, there could be a stranger yeah. and you could just, Write a message and get it to that stranger for free. For free. Instantly. Instantly. Yeah. And you compared that to being able to do financial transactions right. through Bitcoin. Exactly. And not just Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, you know, the granddaddy yes. of them all. Yes. And this 2008 white paper launched a thousand experiments. And one of the things it gave rise to was the concept of these new computing platforms. And so Bitcoin is just one use case. And it's a financial use case. It's fundamentally about moving value. We think of Bitcoin as kind of like a digital form of gold, right? Mm -hmm. Some think about it as a payment system. um, And it's kind of, you know, different people have different ideas about what it is. But fundamentally, it's about moving value, financial value around without an intermediary, without a middleman. And that's a very powerful idea. And Bitcoin has tremendous brand recognition. Obviously, like it's been around for over 10 years now. It's been around, what, 12 years now? 12 years. No more. I saw a survey that I think it's like the third most recognized brand in the world. Yeah. Wow. So like, do you need huge. to purchase it with real world money? So nowadays, you know, there are a number of answers because nowadays you can take, like you could have Ethereum, for example, and you could trade Ethereum for Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, or you could have real, what you're calling real world money, what we call in crypto, we call it fiat money. Like you could take dollars and use dollars or euros or any other kind of currency to buy Bitcoin. But to yes. back up before you get it or buy it, and we can't give advice, what Katie said about some people view it as gold, sort of a digital gold. Some people view it as a payment system. Some people think everyone should transact in Bitcoin. These different views of what Bitcoin currently is or should be or could be, that's what everyone, it's all available on the 
World Wide Web to read about right yeah. now. Yeah. So when you're thinking, I want to get into crypto or how do I understand crypto or should I buy crypto? Step one is to actually go look at all these competing views yeah, online. It's all transparent. You can read about it. And from there, you'll actually, you don't need people like us to tell you how to get it or what to do or how to onboard. You'll probably figure it out on your own. Yeah. By the way, guys, transferring money is such a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. So, well, yeah. Transferring money sucks. You have to go through, you got to, you got to sign papers. You got to fill things out. Let's not even talk about transferring money international. Yeah. Right. I know there's Venmo. I know there's all those, but like Venmo is not offered Exactly. You know, all over the world. And it only is, if you have a bank account. And which only, not everyone even does. I was just about to say. There's also a lot of fraud in lots that world. Of fraud. And this is what I always hear about crypto from a lot of crypto skeptics. Oh, there's fraud. It's like, yes. And we have to be honest about that. There's also fraud in the existing system. In yeah, any course. technology, there's fraud. Well, I didn't fraud. know if maybe crypto is more secure than like your, you know, it's more transparent. Bank account. It's more transparent. It's more transparent, right. I think, is what 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 many would agree on, right? And we saw this in that case that I worked on early, which I told you about is in the case of these federal agents, what we saw is we were only able to trace our activity because of that transparency, Erin. Mm-hmm. So I learned early on, oh, wow, this is not a bad technology. I'm not also saying it's a good technology. Yeah. I came to learn it was a good technology for a lot of things, but it really opened my eyes to, you know, what people tell you and what kind of the pre- prevailing kind of ideas at the time of something new. And it was just something new and it was something a lot of people didn't understand. So I did some of those early cases in crypto and through doing those cases, I started becoming better acquainted with entrepreneurs who were building really exciting products and services on top of, like I said, this new computing platform and new systems. Did Satoshi invent not only crypto, but the blockchain? So Satoshi Nakamoto invented the Bitcoin blockchain. The Bitcoin now blockchain. there are many, many different blockchains, and so were some you of them. Tech savvy before you got into this world? No, I mean tech savvy. Like I knew. I don't how to know. Use. Were you like a mom who's like, how do I turn my phone on silent? That's or were I am. you like the? I mean, the I knew Sarah, how to turn my phone on silent, but I mean, not was much she an engineer? That. She wasn't an engineer. No, but I wasn't you had an like engineer. A, no, but there's just you know, I feel like you're either a Sarah or an Aaron. Like I can figure out whatever new digital thing I could set up someone's you know nanit camera if they need me to help do it. Mm-hmm. Sarah would not know how to do any of those. No, things. so I I was not I did I'm not an engineer. I'm not technical by nature. I don't like tinkering with yeah. Stuff like that, yeah. if that's what you're yeah. asking. And that is why I think it's really important that anyone can learn this technology. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask because I think that, you know, I have felt and I'm sure a lot of people feel very intimidated oh, yeah. at the idea of getting involved in crypto at all and that you kind of have to understand that world to be yeah. able to be a part of it. No. So let me give you why I think that's not the case and why no one should be intimidated by this. Um I'm you know, intimidated by it. Do you it. know how TCPIP runs? I do not know what that is. Okay. So that's the protocol, right? That's a protocol. It's a computer protocol, an internet protocol. Do you know what like HTTP is? These are yes. protocols. Okay. But, you've, I do. but you've like heard but of it, you, but do you know the guts of it? No. no. Do you know how like no. TCPIP works? No. But you know what an email is, right? Yes. Do you know that when you type an email, it gets to someone else? Yes. Before it goes to that person. Bingo. But you don't know. It's the middleman. No, no, no. But you she's don't saying, know like she's why you how write an email that gets to somebody else, not the right, middleman, the right. actual. Uh, I'm recipient. just saying you don't need to know how the guts of something works technically uh, to oh, know what, what it's useful for, and that's right. important. And so I think we're at a point in the space where there's this tremendous need on the part of people to understand how the technical guts work, yeah, and it keeps them away 
from the space. And I think that's really a shame because you know how like, do you know how a combustion engine works? No, but you drive a car. Right. Exactly. You don't need to understand how to code to be able to use the internet. And it's because, right. so it's because we have the internet that I think there, which is kind of neat where like when the internet was starting, you didn't have people banging their heads against the wall saying, can someone explain to me JavaScript? Right. right. I, mean, to understand. I started investing like, no. in crypto. Yes. Yeah. I started investing because someone I really respected. Me? What? No. <laughs> someone I really respected said to me, this is a space that you need to understand. And you don't need to understand it fully, but you need to start diversifying your portfolio. Get in, decide how much you're comfortable investing. And I want you to invest over 10 weeks because it's a very volatile space, right? I won't go into detail about like all the different coins I got mm -hmm. into. I mean, I can. I mean, I'm, I'm allowed to. You guys aren't, but I am. Um, over 10 weeks because it's a volatile space. And and someone said to me, you should, you should invest 1% of... Is that right? Like we've one, heard that. I've definitely heard that. We right. No, you can't say that. You can't say that. And so I did I go down a crazy Google hole to understand the mechanics and go under the hood of each of these um uh services and each of these projects? No, I did not. I did mm. research, I listened to people I trusted, and I just went for it. You did and your I don't own research. Know, I did my own research. research. I did my own research in my own way. But like but no, I, didn't go under, I didn't go under the hood of Ethereum. I didn't fully go under but the Sarah, hood. Explain I just what that means because I have to be a little bit real right now. I'm like kind of confused at what you guys are talking about. It's okay. So can you please <laughs> explain? Way, most what, people listening well, to this are Sarah, in your what does that mean? You did it, you did research. What what is it, you Google like how to buy Bitcoin or what to no, invest? I in? started like subscribing to like crypto blogs. I started following mm. accounts on Instagram. Like I started like Bloomberg News talks about cryptocurrencies. Yep. Like I just started familiarizing myself with this world because I started feeling like I'm I'm late, but I'm early and I don't want to be left behind. So I right. really just, and I didn't talk about it, by the way. I wasn't talking about it to my friends. This is, this is like a year, a year and a half ago, I not that, that long though. ago. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, things are looking good right now. Well, oh, and look, okay. I think here's the truth. The truth is it's very volatile. We yes. all know that. It's we very early. Can you explain what that means to people that it's volatile? Yeah, it means it goes up and down very quickly, very, very quickly. rapidly. Very and sometimes with yeah. for no apparent rhyme or reason. All right, so learning a new language is not easy. Yep, Sarah lives with a German. I live with a Russian. Mm -hmm. English and is the second language at this point in my house. We actually speak English first, but Simon talks behind my back in Russian to his family, and yeah. that is tough. You need Pabal. It is the number one selling language learning app. The whole process is fun, fast, and easy. And they, they have 15-minute lessons, so it's a perfect way to learn a new language on the go. You can listen to it you know, in your headphones while you're on a walk. It's very short spurts of, of lessons. It doesn't bore you. Well, they've perfected their method because there's like many different ways to learn a language mm -hmm. and they have scientifically perfected the way for your brain to retain the information. It also uses speech recognition technology that helps you improve your pronunciation and your accent, which is very important. In addition to the lessons, you can also access podcast games, videos, stories, live classes, um, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee, which I love. It is the number one selling language learning app. And there's a reason for that because they make it addictively fun and fast and easy. So start now. It's not cool to just know one language. Yep. So right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you will get an additional three months for free. That is six months for the price of three. Just go to babbel.com 
and use the promo code FOSTER. That is B-A-B-B-E-L.com, code FOSTER, Babbel, language for life. Um, we have been going to, we used to go to Olive in June all the time in Beverly Hills when they had um, a shop you could go into and get best manicure in town. Female founder. Female founder. Um, Olive in June, they have amazing nail polishes, but they have a really exciting Wait, But their nail polish does system. not chip. Are mm-hmm. you aware? Does not chip. But they have an amazing Manny system that you can achieve beautiful salon perfect nails at an affordable price. They have a special little contraption. It's like this little... What do you call it? It's like a little hand oh, wand. The thing that makes you able, if you're not ambidextrous, to do both hands. Well, no one is ambidextrous. Some I mean, people are ambidextrous. Very rare, Sarah. Very rare. Olive and June's Manny system is the ultimate secret behind salon perfect nails at home. All in one, no guessing, no messy Can I ask nails, you a question? No salon price tag. Who wants to go to a freaking nail salon anymore if they don't have to? Not me. Listen, we want to do everything I want to do everything at home. The handheld thing that I'm referring to is called the poppy, and it is... Only you will only find it with Olive and June, and it makes painting your nails with your non-dominant hand very easy. I've done it myself, and I have a useless left hand. Um, it is a total game changer. Your nails look professionally done. Also, they just have amazing colors, and their colors are seven free, which is very important to me. Very seven of the main chemicals that you will find in nail polish. They are not in the Olive and June ones, but it does not compromise the beautiful color and how long it lasts. So I'm all about that. So getting beautiful salon perfect nails at home is now a dream come true with Olive and June. Your new nail life is here. Visit oliveandjune.com slash foster and use the code foster for 20% off your first Manny system. This is an exclusive offer that you can only get here. That is O-L-I-V-E and J-U-N-E.com slash foster code foster for 20% off your first Manny system. Oliveandjune.com slash foster code foster. Can you explain please how, uh, cause I feel like I'm really speaking on behalf of the confused people right now. Well, that's important. No, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. So yeah. can you explain, um, how one person might buy a cryptocurrency? Sure. And by the way, I, we, when we talked about, you asked me earlier, how do you get Bitcoin? And I said, well, you can buy it with fiat money, right? Or yeah. you can acquire it using other cryptocurrencies. The other way you can acquire something like Bitcoin, early days, by the way, now it would be really expensive to do, but you can also do what's called mining it, um, which is contributing work to the network. That's all you need to know. By the way, I don't need to go into detail about how does Bitcoin mining work. All you need to know is like people around the world are working. Think of them as the workers mm-hmm. to secure the network. Mm-hmm. That's ba- And it's through the form of providing computing. I bought all you, mine on Coinbase. And you can invest right. in helping those people? Is that what you're saying? What? No, no, no. What I'm saying is if you wanted to mine Bitcoin and participate in validating Bitcoin transactions, you could actually mine Bitcoin. That's just another way to get, get it. Some. But can, you, got, but can you explain but that's what? That's very hard. But what do you do to do that? Like, how do I mine Bitcoin? Well, you operate what's called a node. Now, mm-hmm. this is actually now getting down into the technical weeds, okay. which I think so is let's yeah, get mining. Not let's get yeah. mining for a minute because yeah. that's really It's confusing. just different ways to acquire it. You so just let's ask. say Dum Dum Aaron is like, okay, this podcast was so interesting. It feels like I need to get into crypto. What is my next move? Right. And this is not advice. This sure, is just this explaining is not advice. what would I do? Where would I go? Because I would Google, how do I buy Bitcoin? First of all, um, it's more about more than just Bitcoin. You should just do your own research. And yes. how do you do research is, I think, what you're asking, yes. right? 
Um, and we heard about some of the ways Sarah did her research, you know, yeah. on our website, on our Andreessen Horowitz website. Um, we have a whole suite of resources about learning about different kinds of um, technologies, first of all, and different mm -hmm. kinds of projects yeah. um, and what they're all about. And so if you were interested in, you know, learning more about, we haven't talked about NFTs or non-fungible tokens. I like to think of- um, People write us all the time going, what, can you help us? What, what right. is an NFT? So yeah. it's a digitally I, scarce good. Yeah. Well, hold on, because we're, we're switching around a little bit, because we haven't, yeah. for, Montana, we're all, Montana and Allison mm -hmm. and I are all texting each other like, we are so confused. Uh -oh. So ah. I just- not good, because we need to, no, we need I just, to make this I not think, confusing. Because no. I think some of the language that we're using mm. is just unfamiliar to, to us, even though it might be familiar to the three of you. So well, let me ask you this. Did the whole concept of a new computing platform. Did the that internet? make sense to you? Well, it, so it, where it didn't make sense to me is that we're still using computers and the internet to access it. So it feels to me like mm. it is still part of the original system. Yes. There's not like new hardware. That's right. There's mm -hmm. not new hardware. That's actually a really important point that you just made, by the way. This is a software movement. This is all software. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, and I think that's really important. Yeah. I, I didn't even think about it like that. And by yeah. the way, that's one of the reasons the pace of innovation in the space we think is happening faster than in the internet because in the internet you needed hardware and you needed like cables to be fiber optics fiber optics there was a hardware component mm -hmm. with this this is software but also mm -hmm. a couple years ago and i wasn't you know in crypto a couple years ago but it was re it was not as easy to be able to invest it just wasn't mm -hmm. right? right like now there are many platforms i mean there's now Bitcoin, I think, on Venmo, on Robinhood. There's all these like easy ways for you to get your feet wet. Whereas a few years ago, it was not like that. So how is the value placed on crypto? Well, let's go back to what you just said a moment ago, because you said, wait, don't we have to use the internet? And didn't you say it's a new computing platform? And I said, yes. However, note the other prior waves of computing platforms. It was like the desktop and then the internet. Right. And then, um, or sorry, PC and then the internet and then mobile. You're still using the internet when you're using mobile. Mobile's just a new platform. Mm -hmm. So, like a different access point. Exactly. Like one is like there. 5G yeah. wireless network, right? Yeah. But I think one you is LTE. Hit, I think you yeah. just hit the nail on the head. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, point. there's a misconception that in order to own Bitcoin, and of course, we're not talking about all the other tokens and all the other platforms and technologies, we're talking about Bitcoin right now. There's a misconception that in order to have Bitcoin, you have to have one whole Bitcoin, which I think today is at $62,000, right? That is a misconception. You can, they, people say, right, you guys aren't saying this, mm -hmm. but I have read that 0.01% of a Bitcoin that you can purchase right now will be worth I don't even want to know what. That is, that is well, just what my worth. research is. So you don't need to own, to be able to own Bitcoin, you do not have to own an entire Bitcoin. Okay, just, a lot if of, you have $62,000 to spare, can you buy a whole Bitcoin? Yes, right you now? can. You can. Well, yes. maybe to back up, so if we are talking about just owning some of these tokens, yes. owning some of these currencies, it is the case. So there's all kinds of blockchains now. Yes. And they all work differently. Which are differently. called altcoins, correct? Well, we don't like we to don't use the name altcoin. Okay, but if you're like a novice. I still that, wouldn't say the well, word altcoin. Well, what would altcoin. you say? What, is, what do you call it? Just other They're projects. Other tokens. projects. Well, uh, what I call, what I say is tokens. tokens. And by the way, instead of NFTs, I like to use the word digitally scarce goods. So we should talk about that too, because I think for your listeners, NFTs yes. are really a kind of a mainstream use case that they might understand. So we'll talk about that in is a moment. Is an NFT a cryptocurrency? So actually, great question. Um, it's actually a token. 
And by the way, different NFTs, different, let's just call them digitally scarce goods. Okay. NFTs feels very jargony to me. Yeah. So what is an NFT? It's a digitally scarce good. Mm-hmm. And it's fundamentally, it's a token that represents ownership of a mm-hmm. piece of kind of media. Right. Remember, by the way, I talked about iOS and Android? Yeah. Well, think of like Ethereum. There are other, Ethereum might be one kind of blockchain. Another one might be Solana, you know, Flow. By the way, full disclosure, there are loads of others. We're not loads. touting yeah. one yeah. over the so other. So how does someone decide? We love blockchains. Yes. <laughs> how does someone des- decide the value of a Bitcoin or of Bitcoin? Uh, and uh, the market decides. The market. It's just like gold, like a public company. Like how? it's like having equity in something. Well, I would say it's like gold. It's like a commodity, mm. right? Like how do you decide the value of gold? Gold has moved up and down. Why is gold valuable? Because people believe it's valuable. Yeah. Why is Bitcoin potentially valuable? Because I don't. I I yeah. think it is, but I don't mm-hmm. want to. Yeah. Because people ascribe value to yeah. it. Yeah, that but, is helpful information. Is it? That yeah. is very helpful. Yes, it's very helpful to understand it because it's an intangible thing. It's very confusing to understand the value that is put on. Someone explained to me, uh, I think Simon's business partner chief explained to me that an NFT should be thought of as like uh, music publishing that you create a song and it's an original song and it's an intangible thing. It's just an audio piece, right? And it can be heard around the world on a million different radio stations. You can have it on your CD. You can have all this, but there's value in owning the original right. publishing of that song, the rights to that song, the, the digital original property rights. Yes, that yes. is a digital property because it's it's something that you can't hold on to. It's not tangible, but there's value in having the original piece, even though you can hear that song all over the world. Sure. Th- right. th- think about the internet is one ginormous coffee machine. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Cut yeah, and okay, paste, cut and it. paste, cut and paste. You can copy photos. You can copy emails, right? Yep. Um, and so before the advent of blockchains, there was no such thing as digital scarcity. Right. And it's How so funny, too. And copied. it's the scarcity that creates the value. Bingo. Okay, who is creating this crypto? So it depends what kind of crypto you're talking about. So yeah. I think— you, Let's just talk about Bitcoin. Well, Satoshi's about Bitcoin. anonymous. No one knows who Satoshi is. Right. But so it, the co- there's a computer code that's out there that says only 21 million Bitcoin will ever be created. Mm. Now, some skeptics, including, by the way, Jamie Dimon, I recently mm. saw said or tweeted, didn't he tweet said yeah. something like, how do you know? How would you even know? That there's only 21 million. Mm-hmm. And what who we promised say, this? Yeah. Who promised this? And what we say is the code. The code says we see it. This, yeah. Right? Yeah. So you don't have to trust a person. You have to trust math yeah. and computer. Code. Right. Where is the code that you can see that there's 21 million? There's computer the code out there. Yeah. Let's back up and answer your first question because you said the Bitcoin. Like, where is it? How does it get created? It gets created. And again, this is getting technical, but let's just at a high level say it gets created up to 21 million Bitcoin, by the way, will ever be minted or mined or whatever, yep. whatever verb you want to use, created. That's the maximum. But right now, 21 million Bitcoin are not yet created. Right? Oh, it's they're the not pot- created no, yet. No, not yet. It's the potential to be created. Yep. Through okay, so mining. Through mining, which is through this work to <laughs> so secure the like, system. So can I reserve the next one that's being mined? Mm, no. You can't reserve it. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can only purchase one that is already a piece of some that's out there now. Think about it like gold. There's a finite amount of gold in the world. Yep. You could go buy gold. You could mm-hmm. also, I guess, go mine gold somewhere. You yeah. could go find a gold mine and mine it. Right. It would be harder mm-hmm. to yeah. go mine the gold. Yeah. 
But you could also go buy it. There are numerous ways to get gold. Is the blockchain or is cryptocurrency or any of the things we're talking about, is it like a traditional stock market? Like, is that what we're looking at? It depends on what blockchain you're talking about, okay? And I'm sorry to get to, I, I hope this is not too in the weeds, but I think if your listeners can take away two things today, here's what I want them to take away from about crypto. One is it's not all about currencies. It's not all about financial use cases. It's an important piece of applications for crypto or financial, to be sure. But it's only scratching the surface. There are a lot of other applications that we can hopefully get into. Two, when you keep saying the blockchain, there's not only one blockchain. There are hundreds of blockchains. The Bitcoin blockchain is one type of, 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 one type of blockchain. Mm-hmm. When just I, so when I just I think that's the, an important yeah, point. Yes, yeah, when I hear is. the word blockchain, what my brain imagines is like a code of DNA, like a twisted code of DNA. That is what I'm picturing when I see when I hear blockchain. But why do you need to even picture it? Why can't you just know that what it enables is it enables you to move value around the world without an intermediary? And value to to the, what you so sometimes people hear value and you think money yes but right. but Aaron you just talked about the example of creating a piece of music yes that right. has value yes. right and, and now you can move that around with ownership well you hit the nail on the head with the car I don't yeah. freaking know the mechanics the inner workings of a car I just or want to email eat it. how the protocol right works. I don't know where it's going and what all the code means how do you yeah. how does your brain your because I think this is what gets people hung up is they're like my brain you said my brain's imagining DNA and a blockchain yes why does your brain need to imagine what yes. it looks like why can't you just say, I know, I don't, my brain doesn't know what TCPIP looks like, but I know what email does. What I'm trying to get to is we're at this point in the ecosystem where people are obsessed to know how everything works as a technical matter. Mm-hmm. And that's fine if you're a deeply technical person. But if you're just trying to understand what this enables and what the possibilities are, yeah. all I'm saying is you don't need to go down that rabbit hole. And so what does it enable and what are the possibilities? Okay, so one one thing it enables is to transfer value around the world to people without an intermediary at its most basic, at its most basic, right? So in the case of Bitcoin, you could transfer value that in the form of Bitcoin to someone else in the world who you don't know and know that they get it. And, and they know that you're sending it, and you don't need a bank account. So that's what that enables, yes. right? So is that like Venmo? So in the case of Bitcoin, it's highly volatile. So one of the criticisms of Bitcoin is it's so volatile, by the time it gets to the person, it could have changed. Could have the value. changed. So I'm not going to use it to pay for things. Right. That's where this thing comes in called stable coins. Okay, now we're going to talk about yeah. the concept of stable coins. Yeah. What's a stable coin? The, a stable coin picks up where Bitcoin left off. Stable coins are basically... A cryptocurrency, and this is a financial application, yeah. right? That you could transfer around the world, but that is designed to minimize that volatility. It's pegged to the, actually, like in the case of many, to the value of a dollar. Mm-hmm. And there are different kinds of flavors and types of stable coins. How early are we? And I know you can't predict that, but truly, well, how early are we? We are because so early in crypto networks. We are so early in crypto networks. We're just starting to see. We're at the beginning. We're at the beginning yeah. of Jesus. crypto networks. I mean, that's why people, when they say we need the 101, we need to understand yeah. this, is because, again, I think unlike the internet, unlike computing waves before it, 
there is all this conversation. Like all, everyone listening, you guys, Sarah has geeked out on this. Basically. Yeah, but I'm still yeah. clueless. You can and go. I, you're not clueless. You know, I'm not you're clueless, clueless. It's actually what you've done. I want to hear you say right now, I'm smart. Yes. I am smart. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and Aaron understands the, the digital scarcity and why that unlocks yeah. things. So, yeah, I mean, it's shocking though, you guys. We have a smart audience. We have a, a yeah, lot of yeah. brilliant women were writing me. Brilliant women. I could tell you their names. You'd be like, oh, I know yeah. who those women are. Yeah. Going, I'm so confused. I want to get started. How do I get started? Right. Now, to the person who just doesn't know how to get started, we know they need to do their research. Yep. They need to do all those things. It's not financial advice. How how do you get started? So I would say just start reading and 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 watching short videos. So for example, well, not, yeah. full disclosure, I'm on the board of Coinbase, yep. but Coinbase puts out informational videos that yeah. you can go mm. watch yeah. about different topics. Question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's Coinbase? So Coinbase <gasps> is an exchange. It's where how you, you can, can buy can give, your coins. You can answer. give like dollars too, right? Or you can use your credit card and it lets you acquire different cryptocurrencies in exchange. So, so it's Coinbase kind of like an doesn't on just and off have ramp. Uh, doesn't just have Bitcoin. It has it has several different. It has currencies. many, many, many dozens of yeah. different tokens. Yeah, did my, it just recently go public? It did. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. It went public on my Robinhood uh, app. I don't, went I don't believe I opted in. Unfortunately, I actually think that's a great call to action for this audience. Which is, if anything you've learned here makes you want to dive in a little bit more, I actually think, and not in terms of buying or but Coinbase as a destination yeah, to learn. is a yeah. great spot to just yeah. start learning. Yeah. And the think, videos. Yeah. Are you a video person? Are yeah. you a reading person? I would this say to your audience- This is on the Coinbase audience, website? Yes. Yeah. But Got I would it. also say to your audience, think about how they want to consume content. Some people want to watch a tutorial, a video. Yeah. Some people want to go read, um, right? It, it's just different for different people. You can go to our website, www.a16z.com. Yeah. Wait, what um, is it? Isn't it the crypto Andrew's website? Yep, www.a16z.com. We'll give it to you guys for when you promote it. There's yeah. tons yeah. of content there. Yeah. I think it's interesting. But another thing for an audience like this, which that we've, talked about. It's like, why should I care about crypto right now? If you're in college, if you're in your 20s, even in your early 30s, it's kind of the same reason I cared about Google and Instagram and Facebook when I was in college. As a user, yes, but actually as a career, maybe as an interesting place to go work. Mm. Maybe if you're going into marketing, you need to understand these platforms. Maybe if you ever wanted to start your own business, this is probably the future. It would be like saying the internet in the early days of the internet. Like, It would be like saying, oh, the internet seems intimidating. I don't know how it works, so maybe I just won't learn about that. Which is going to touch all different corners of our life. You kind of have to embrace it. Who is regulating Bitcoin? Well, actually, who's regulating? In the case of Bitcoin, we know now that Bitcoin is viewed as a commodity, at least by the United States government. Okay, so in yeah. commodities are typically reg- regulated by the CFTC Commod- Commodities and Futures Trading Commission. However, certain kinds of like ETFs mm-hmm. um, are regulated, like Bitcoin. There is a Bitcoin futures ETF just mm-hmm. approved by the SEC. So it really depends on what the use is. Um, and I think that's getting really complicated. But I will yeah. tell you that we haven't even scratched the surface. I on think, NFTs. On NFTs and on like what it means to own something that's digitally scarce and why that's important. Because most people are like, well, I already own digital goods. I own digital music. I own an MP3. But you don't really own it. You don't really own it. You don't own it. Because you don't know the publishing, like I was saying originally. You it's don't the digital own the property rights. I also love piece. when people are like, why would I buy an NFT so what it like lives on my phone? Why do people buy art to live in their living room? Right. Yeah. Who's coming to your living right. room? No one's coming to your living room. Right. Like, and, and and people are very focused on, well, why would I pay that for a yes. JPEG? Right. Yes. And it's like, well, why would you pay for paint on a canvas? Like on our acrylic. Yeah. Like yeah. 
fundamentally, you have, and in the case of digital art, it's about, it, I mean, and that's just the earliest use case of NFTs, right, is digital art. But what we believe is there's so much more types well, of media right that can now, be- Well, because right now, NFTs we hear about are celebrities, right? Right. Le- it's LeBron James. It's, mm. it's, it's these people. Like, I can't, what can I, how mm. can I get involved in NFTs? It's just for celebrities or painter or artists, mm-hmm. right? But like- Explain to us, because I know we got to wrap it up, mm. explain to us how an everyday person who's sure. listening to this can can become part of the NFT ecosystem and mm-hmm. make money from it and utilize it and all those things. So, for example, there are early examples of this. And yeah. you can go Google, like, how do I mint an NFT, yeah. by the way? you know, So you can go Google that and yeah. you'll find different tutorials on how to mint an NFT. Yeah. Um, But basically, if you had, for example, people, I I know of one case, like there's a photographer Mm -hmm. who's made a lot of their photographs. Um, They've converted them into NFTs. And this is not a famous photographer, right? Right. This is just an ordinary, maybe not ordinary, but it's a photographer. And they can program those tokens, those digitally scarce items, which are NFTs, the tokens, to if that photograph sells later— they get a cut of it. Now contrast that with the physical world today. If you have a photograph that you go sell and you're a photographer and you go sell it, the photographer gets paid by the gallery. Maybe it's he's represented, he or she is represented right. by a gallery. The gallery gets a cut. Right. And then if it's resold, that platform, maybe yeah. it's a gallery or a store gets a cut. But that artist only gets a cut once. In the case of NFTs, the content creator, in this case a photographer, can program that token so that they always get a cut of future transactions. Which brings us back to how the perfect comparison is owning the publishing for a song because the artist will always make money Mm -hmm. every time that song plays on the radio and every time the song is downloaded on Spotify, every time that song is heard by anyone, the artist is going to get a cut of that if they own their own publishing. And think about generationally, like Sarah has kids how much of their lives are already starting to take place digitally. Oh. They've Online. only ever had, yeah. they never had DVDs or CDs. I went to Urban Outfitters with her daughter the other day, who's 10. And she goes, oh, look at this, Erin. Do you know what this is? It's a, it's a, it's a cassette. I said, uh, it's called a cassette. <laughs> she had no, it was like right. a foreign thing to her, a Billie Eilish yeah. memorabilia. But right a cassette. now, she didn't even know how to say Everything you've purchased yeah. through Apple Music, for example, it could technically disappear by the time she's 20. But I right. also can't play it. Yeah. When I'm in Europe, you can't play it. It's like, oh, it's not a, it's not a, a wall garden. It's in a walled they, garden. They yeah. control it. They own it. And that's the beauty yes. of NFTs is you actually own it. You can transport it from one platform to another we're still very early days, but imagine if you can actually own digital content that's digitally scarce. Can you copy it? To your point, Aaron, of course you can copy it. I could also go take a fo- a picture of a piece of art you have here. It, mm-hmm. It's not mine. It's like yeah. sporting a fake watch or a fake purse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a real value, we think, among young people today. It, we call it digital flex, right? It's yes. like, what is your online persona? Do, yes. are you? Is that backdrop of yours? Is that your NFT that you own? Or are you just copying someone else's? That's mm-hmm. lame if you're copying someone uh-huh. else's. Okay. Yeah. Is there any form of insurance on these things that if the internet crashes, goes away, gets if the, if the server gets erased, mm-hmm. is there insurance on these things? I So right now, we are seeing... Founders come in with insurance products to offer in the crypto space. However, it's very early. So right now, um, it's a very nascent space. I would say, for example, if you put all of your photos digitally, where do you have your photos? On like Apple? Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah. I mean, we think Apple's secure, right? We hope. I have my well, photos a lot of on there. iClouds get hacked all the time. Yeah. Sure. And so 
And and so yet we are still moving from a physical world to a digital world. Now, what's the in in the physical world? You can have insurance, right? You have insurance products. What happens if like something burns down? You have insurance. Crypto is really early, um, but there are insurance products that are starting to come to market. Actually, ironically, one of the things that is preventing them from coming to market sooner rather than later is regulation. Is like government wow. regulation yeah. because. Right, insurance is a heavily regulated. By the way, industry. should we start a digital insurance company? Because I feel like that's going to blow up. Great idea. Okay, sidebar about that. Well, so I, I just want to go back to NFTs because right now, what you're starting to see, I mentioned a photographer, digital artists, but right now, what you're starting to see is also music NFT, music and NFTs. You're seeing um, traditional media. You could see, you know, works, content works. Is there an for identifiable, example. like, visual component so that you know that that is an NFT, that that is the original piece? Like, if you're it looking maps at it, to a token on the blockchain that proves ownership. Can just and, anyone get into the space? Can just like yeah. some people listening right here? Like, you they would can be just, surprised. There's, I mean, the creator community. There's, I think it started really with digital artists who have been creating digital art for. Think of like they've been working for Coca-Cola and creating ads, but they actually, you can develop fans and people who really admire your work. And you'd be surprised. It's still pretty hard, but people climb over these technical barriers because it's so compelling, yeah. the yeah. use case. It's, and it's changing lives already. Yeah. It's so way, early. Yeah. By the way, I'm on the board of OpenSea. Yeah. It's the world's largest NFT marketplace. Yeah. And um, so full disclosure, I'm on the board and we're investors, but they just put out and a really interesting- Coinbase. I am, but they put out an interesting- um, video um, explaining NFTs. So you can go to their website also, OpenSea.io. And the other thing I would say, just to answer your question about, well, how can, you know, NFTs, what is it that I own? You can imagine in the future that there will be different environments in which, yes, anyone could copy or take a picture of your NFT, but we know you own it. And there will be environments, we believe, in the future that will emerge where only the true owner can <gasps> use that NFT. Oh. That's really important. Or so be like able to a post game. it. Like if, if I cop, if I took a picture of someone else's NFT, like I- You might be able to post it, but you couldn't use it. And by the way, there are really interesting business models we see that can come around NFTs. Um, for example, oh, and new behaviors too. Like, gosh, should we even talk about this? I think we yeah. should talk about this. New behaviors too. Like a group of people can get together and buy an NFT together. Um, we've seen instances where there'll be a group of people at a party and they'll get together and they will buy an NFT to commemorate that party, right? Yeah. Everyone listening to this podcast wants to get into this space. That's yeah. the only reason they're listening. They're all mm. listening because they well, want to get into- curi- or they're just no, curious about it. They're like, crypto curious. They're, we call those people yeah, crypto, crypto curious. Yeah. No one is listening to this unless they're curious. a good title curious. for the episode. It is. It is a- Well, it think a about good. it this way. With the internet, it's moving information around. And then the products and services that were built on the internet are kind of easy to understand because media is easy to understand. Mm-hmm. So you understand sharing photos. You understand building an audience. Yeah. You understand sending emails around. This new kind of like moving value around the world, you're getting into some heavy topics. It's ownership. Mm-hmm. It's digital scarcity. I was just about to it's say. It's fungible versus non-fungible. Right. Fungible, not a word it's, I've ever heard until If you NFTs. don't understand yeah. the current financial system, diving into the financial use cases of this system are hard. So it is a new wave. It is coming. It is already happening. But it is absolutely okay. I want everyone listening to know that like yeah. if the internet was a bit easier to grasp and those um, end user like consumer experiences were pretty easy for everyone to jump on board because I just think media is different. Look, here's the deal. Do I think people are going to listen to this and walk away going, oh my God, 
I understand it all. No, because we're all, but I'll tell you what it will do. It's going to make people leave this episode and go do their own research. Yeah. Well, that's It's going to make people leave this want. episode and go, want. wait, I'm going to go now Google. You're confused just the right amount and curious no, just the right amount. You're, you're, you're not supposed yeah. to fully go, oh, I told, this is new territory. And I think what, what you said earlier really helps is that we all use the internet. We all use email, but none of us, very few of us Mm-mm. understand no, exactly. the right. actual back channeling of information that's happening mm-hmm. and the and the what's the what's the but phrase who cares? like what's the, it works. the back end of the internet like we don't understand yeah. how the, the backbone of the internet. yeah the we don't understand yeah. the operational aspects of the mm-hmm. internet but we comfortably easily use it so right. so that is something that is important to take away is that maybe yeah. don't focus so much on understanding the underbelly of cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. It's really just understand what your role can be in it, how you can use them in your life. That and what they can the, enable. And what they can enable. And what they can enable. Pay attention yeah. to the surface of it first. Yes. And yeah. then maybe- And if you want to go deeper, I mean, certainly there are people who send emails who know very well how the protocols work yes. as a technical matter. Yeah. If you want to be one of those people, more power to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, you can build your own website without knowing how to code. Right. Yeah. That's all coming yes. in yeah. crypto. All, right. Yeah. Right. And you know what the website enables, even if you didn't necessarily know how it got created. Okay, so even if you have, had like, a website. People ask questions like, if you have X amount of dollars to invest, like where would I put it? You can't answer any of those questions, right? No, but right? What we, we can't answer any of those questions. Yeah. But what we can say is look at all of the different use cases. That's the thing I would say. And this is not investment advice. It's just like being curious advice. By the way, no, no one told me where to put my money. Yeah, go look at it. Not one person, all the, I know you don't like all coins, all the stable coins that I'm in, no one told me about. I just took, you know, I just feel with your gut. I just went with my gut. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I fully so I went think with my do gut. your own research. But know that there are so many different use cases. Go look at NFTs. Go look at decentralized social platforms. Maybe you want to go look at DeFi. Maybe you want to look at financial use cases. It's it's really about what are you interested in. It would be like if you asked me, Sarah, I want to invest in the internet. Where should I put my money? (laughs) I would say, well, what are you interested in? That's how it sounds. No, but like, what would you would you would I want to go invest in Netflix because I'm into movies and content, or would I want to go invest in? And do I find their vision credible? You know, in the early days of Amazon. Oh, so do each of these different cryptocurrencies or each of these blockchains? They They have have their own mission, right? They have their own like, yeah, very much so. And and not only is just white papers. That was early days, but a lot of times you can go actually look at how what the token economics are. How are they incentivizing people to come to that network, Mm -hmm. for example? So you find the one that fits for your belief system or your culture or what you are interested in. But by the way, this is the disconnect, is that for normal people like us and normal people to all of our listeners, like hearing us say, where should we invest? That is truly, you guys are registering that as the same as where would I invest in the internet? Yes. Yeah. That's how broad it is. That's, right. I and mean, and what would that different. be? Would it be e-commerce? Would it be yeah. social platforms? Oh would it be, um, would yeah. it be, for Media. example, right. All, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. All ki- And it's earlier than that. I mean, but, imagine like, so another thing in terms of the like grant, the vision of some of these projects, some of these blockchains, you know, I think Jeff Bezos in the early days, people saw, well, he's, they're selling books online. But I think the way he spoke to when he went public was like, no, we'll do everything online this way. We will all transact this way. We right. will buy, this will be the everything He didn't think store. Amazon was just going to be for books, So right? people yes. bought into that. You either said, bullshit, no one will ever put money on the web mm-hmm. or trust that you can give your credit card number right. on this web. Mm-hmm. No one will ever buy toothpaste this way. I think right. books. So pr- crypto right now is in a very early stage in that sense where you can go read about these different communities and projects and they will say, no, 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 
this is how identity will work yeah. in the future yeah. on the yeah. web. And you can say, this looks kind of janky right now. I just don't see so that. So Bitcoin right. are the books of Amazon. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Very I mean, interesting. it's early. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I would also say- it could say, end up being so much more Bitcoin. A lot of people think early business models sound like jokes, right? Like I remember hearing about um, Airbnb when they went to raise money and they're like, why would I ever Ew, let- I don't want to say strangers stand like There you go. If you would have said that they would disintermediate hotels, who would have believed you? Mm, so totally. I think like we have to suspend- a yeah. little bit of disbelief sometimes. Yeah. We have to be comfortable with not knowing how sometimes say, the guts uncomfortable. work. Mm-hmm. And just start learning. You can go to Coinbase and you can watch a video and just, and this is, again, inverts the model of the web. Instead of an advertiser taking your data and monetizing that for you to learn about their product, you can go watch a video. And they'll pay you. And they pay you for your time. In that, instead per, of, in that token. Instead in of, that token. I know that. So instead actually of for people who don't want to put their money at risk, which oh, is, wow. I think, the vast overwhelming majority of people, yeah. naturally so, yeah. um, they can actually just go experiment by watching a video, and for example. Maybe if you watch that video, you get a token. So now you have a Coinbase account and you technically own some crypto. Maybe when you see the news about it in Bloomberg, now you have a little piece of that piece in that and you're like yeah. oh I want to see what's going on with yeah. this network that I learned about wow yeah. one other thing I would I would leave your listeners with is whereas most technology automates away um you know the periphery and workers like right yeah uh, it, it automates things technology often automates things and puts people out of work we just yeah. know that one interesting thing about blockchain technologies is they automate away the middleman and actually, I'll have to give credit here to Vitalik Buterin's quote. Um, Vitalik Buterin is, he is Ethereum. The, he's the creator of Ethereum, yeah. which is another crypto asset, right? We've already talked about Ethereum love earlier Ethereum. in the Personally show. Love it. Vitalik great. said, and I think it's a great point, <laughs> blockchain technologies automate away the centralized player. So instead of putting a taxi driver out of a job, it puts blockchain technologies put Uber out of a job wow. by allowing people to transact wow. directly. Yeah. This is why I also think if you're thinking about your career, if you always thought you wanted to get into tech, even if it's not on the technical side, the crypto space, I think from a values perspective, more people, and they, you probably don't know that if you're in college right now or you maybe haven't considered this, it probably shares your values. And the more you dig in, and when you think about the kind of technology that will enable the kind of world you want to live in. There's a lot here that's super promising. There are downsides too and risks and we're not, you know, yeah. we talk about that. But I think like ending on that is like why we're so passionate well, about it. And also I think there's this myth that you should really have to have a computer science degree or be an engineer or technical <laughs> to get into space. Frankly, we have a lot of those and keep them coming. We like engineers, yeah. but yeah. like actually what we need in this space are people who can talk about it normally. Yeah. We need designers. We need content creators. Marketers. Product mm-hmm. um, talent. Right. That's one of the things I love about crypto is it brings together these fascinating disciplines of like economics, computer science and technology, law, policy, psychology, (laughs) all together. Um, So it's giving us back an economy where people have a role. Exactly. Yeah. And communities have a say. Another thing not to leave on, but just I want to mention, I think, you know, growing up, everyone's heard the message that everyone should learn about finance, right? Personal finance. You should understand money. It's really important. I kind of think technology is becoming more important. For sure. For sure. So that's why when people are like, why should I dig in? Why? It's almost like saying, well, why should I understand money? Mm -hmm. Technology impacts every aspect of our lives. It impacts money. It impacts value. It impacts whatever your dream is. 
technology is going to have like a say in that dream. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can't, I think it it is confusing. You don't, if you don't want to buy the stuff, you don't have to buy the stuff. If you don't want to participate in it, don't participate in it, but don't put your head in the sand about it. And don't buy into these myths. Yeah. Like, oh, it's just for criminals. You know, if it were just for criminals, Mm. I'm sorry, but I wouldn't be in the space. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and also there's no degree you can go get in crypto. There isn't one. You can't like, I mean, I teach a crypto class, Mm -hmm. but like you can't, even that, by the way, the syllabus changes every year because the space changes so much. Okay. Two quick questions that Allison wants us to ask before you walk out. Okay. So if email allows us to communicate with each other, what does crypto allow us to do? I want to answer this. That's a great question. Well, I want to answer this question. Can I answer this question? That's who I'm asking. Great. So this is one use case. Email today... You used to have to, instead of email, how would you communicate with someone on the other side of the world? Call right? them? You could have called them. Write that would have cost letter. you money. Or you could have written, written them a letter. letter. It would take like a month to get It there. would take forever to get there, yeah. depending on where it was going. You would have to um, put a postage stamp on it, right? The mailman has to go through the postal system. But now email comes along, and email allows you instantly and freely to just communicate a message, an email to anyone in the world, right? But you have to pay to have the internet, right? You have to pay you to have an AOL account. You do have to pay to have the internet. Do you, you have still to pay have, to have an AOL account? Well, I'm saying I'm when that when that was mm. happening. Did, oh, yeah, Did we have right. to pay for AOL or was that free? I don't no, no, no. I think you did have to pay for AOL. Yeah. But today, it is true that you have to pay to have internet access. Yes. And I don't want to minimize yeah, yeah. that. No one, yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, we do. There is actually there are computer networks and blockchains that are trying to solve even that and incentivize oh, people. Incentivize people, um, normal everyday people, to provide communities with broadband access. But I think that's too technical. Amazing. Let's get back okay. to your question. So, it's you're you're right to point out that the internet is not totally free, but it dramatically reduces the cost. Right that it would cost to normally communicate with people around the world. Like, remember, you used to have to pay for a long distance by the minute. And if yes. you were calling overseas, oh it would be very expensive. Remember when your phone bill used to be like $1,000 yeah. before they had Well, so, yeah. so the point is it dramatically reduces the cost to negligible costs. So what does, you said, what does crypto allow? Crypto would allow, for example, you to transport value to the other side of the world also much more cheaply, much qu- more quickly and with less friction. Right now, if you wanted to get um, if you wanted to get money to someone, let's just say in the Philippines, mm-hmm. right? You would have to use the existing remittance system, which is really expensive, actually, for How many do you people. Even access that? Yeah. Well, you access it by going to, for example, Western Union. Western Union, right? Or a variety of different providers like that. You pay a pretty large fee. You're dependent upon that middleman and a whole network of other middlemen. And who are, you know, those fees are going to. But and it to play, takes a while. Just to play so, devil's advocate, can yeah. I, can't I Venmo someone in the Philippines? No. Well, they so, but first of all, you have to have a bank account. So I'm telling okay. you right now, you don't have to have a bank account to use, to transfer value using mm-hmm. crypto, right? Okay. We already talked about Bitcoin as example, an example of that, mm-hmm. where you don't need a middleman. And also here's the difference with Venmo. It's really just a digital IOU. Right. Yes. It can be clawed back. Right. The money's Here's, not actually. It's not actually. Right. The only way right now, if you wanted to do this system absent crypto, is you could fly physically cash <laughs> and hand it to someone right. in the Philippines. Otherwise, you go through this existing system of remittances, right? And it's crazy that in 2021, it's cheaper and faster for you to literally hand carry a briefcase of cash to the other side of the world. Now, of course, there are also laws that might violate if you don't declare it. So I'm not advocating that anyone does that. Yeah, but yeah. what crypto allows is it would allow you to transfer 
value without an intermediary to the other side of the world now. And that value is not a digital IOU, Aaron. It's actually the actual bearer instrument, like cash. This is also important. I think the future generations are very comfortable with holding, with, with buying stuff that they don't physically oh, hold in their pets. hands. I mean, these pets. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's That's crazy. a good point. It's the pets. A, yeah. Well, what That's do you mean? Me. Is that on Roblox? The same. Yeah. It's bragging rights for these kids. But I they don't even neon, own it. They don't own it. Right. They yeah. don't own it, but they go to school and they go, I have a neon. And it's I, a billion, it's multi-billion yeah. dollar industry. Yeah. And what our point is, I think, is imagine if actually you could own those goods yeah. And you could transfer them to different platforms. Yeah, you but could I use do them think that these places. things are setting us up to understand this better. Like your daughter going to school and being excited that she has a neon parrot or whatever, and that's just like a—it's a image on a computer, and it's yeah. not a real thing, mm-hmm. and it's different than cryptocurrency. Yeah, but but it is getting us one step closer to understanding the value of these things. They're well, living in a digital universe. They are, yes. and even remember, like in the days of like photo albums. Like I used to like actual photo albums, but you know, over time I was like, no, I'd rather have them digitally because mm-hmm. actually they're more easy to look at. Sorry, not more easy. Yeah. Right. yeah they're they're easier rather to look at and send digitally. to people. They're easier. Yeah. It's just like more user-friendly in yeah. our world today. Why yeah. is that? Because we're not sitting at our house and all the time yeah. we're spending more and more time online. Yeah. We're out. We have a new computing platform yeah. that is mobile and we can pull out our phone and show people photos. Yeah. Therefore, we use photos more, I think. I would go ahead and say we use photos more in a digital form than yeah. in a physical form. Completely. And and I don't even think that's a great analog because, of course, we don't own those photos that we already talked about that. But the point is people are used to now getting used to having digital stuff, replace physical stuff. And there are pros and cons to that. You know, that's a controversial topic. Yeah, because like I still want to have, like I love to have a a wedding photo album that's in person that you could go like look at right here and not be on my phone. Well, this tech wave is moving faster than any of the waves that came before it. And if you think about our age group, like late 30s, early 40s. including me in your age group, which I'm not, but thank you. Um, I don't believe that. But we're not even digital natives. Right. This didn't even happen, like hit my generation until I was like, I barely in college is when I had email. We just got used to one tech paradigm. And now here comes another. That's anxiety inducing. And I think we have to. It doesn't need to be though. It doesn't need to be, but I think we have to acknowledge that. It is exciting. Here's the thing, you guys. I know you feel like it was all over the place, which we are, but this is a space that is just, there's a lot to talk about. And I'm telling you, people are going to come away just wanting more. Well, the most important thing you want people to come away with is curiosity. Because then we can do our own research and figure out the best way that it relates to us specifically. And I think that this conversation really helped open me up to it, feel a little... I mean, and sometimes I felt more intimidated, but other times I felt less intimidated where it's more accessible because I don't feel this need to understand how it all works. I just can figure out how it works for me. You know, and I think... In addition, having the confidence to all know that we can figure this out. Yes. Anyone can figure this out at a level and pace that is understandable to them. And I think that's really important. You know, Rachel and I were talking last night on the flight down, and I was like, I I don't even know if this is a famous person who said this. Mm. I just heard this quote once from my brother. Mm. And he said, there's no comfort in the growth zone, and there's no growth in the comfort zone. Mm. And I think that's really important. Um, It's it's important in career pivots, which is where we started this conversation, but it's also important in just learning new fields. And you might be comfortable in your existing field, but you're not going to necessarily grow if so you've, especially if you've already reached what you know might be like the pinnacle of that field. Yeah, so, true. so I think just also having the 
confidence yeah. to go learn something else and be uncomfortable with learning something yeah. else and be okay with not getting everything on day one. Yes. That's fine. And yeah. technical content is a great place to get uncomfortable yeah. because tech is really so important to our world now and it's only going to accelerate. So getting used to the discomfort and being like, this is so technical, my brain hurts. Yeah. But everyone needs to get that uncomfortable because it's that important. Well, and me. also just being free to admit that like you don't understand something, I think is... Yeah really undervalued. I mean, I shudder to think what early grand jury transcripts looked like, what I was saying about my knowledge of crypto now versus what I know now. Mm -hmm, I mean, it was completely ignorant. But Um, I just love what you said. We email, we drive a car, we do all these things that are necessary in our life. We don't understand the inner workings of how how that engine is working or where the email's going before it gets to some place, but we need it. And I think everyone listening, you don't need to understand every little intricacy of crypto. Mm -hmm. You just need to have to be able to grasp like the macro of it all. That is so that is so well right. said. Thank you so much. Thank for both you being for here. having us. Thank you and giving us this important lesson. If you like this podcast, leave a rating and review. This podcast is executive produced by. Can you not use that voice? I'm sorry. I'm trying to sound. Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced Just by. Be, can you do you have a normal voice? Yeah, Aaron Foster. Sarah Foster and Allison Bresnick. Okay, I'll take over. Our, Our associate producer is Montana McBearney. Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great. <laughs>